Hi, folks. Before we get started here, I want to advise you that there is some strong language included in this episode. Therefore, parental guidance is suggested. You have been warned. Welcome to the Feel Good Running Podcast, where our goal is to keep you motivated, inspired, and energized. As a runner, or perhaps you are looking for the right motivation to become one, you've definitely found the right place. We share inspirational stories from real runners, motivating running-related information, and much more to help you feel good about your running. And now your host and a longtime Feel Good Runner himself, Jim Lynch. Hi, folks and runners. How you doing today? Hope everybody's doing fine. My name is Jim Lynch. This is my podcast, Feel Good Running, and I would like to welcome you. I know there's going to be a lot of folks that are non-runners that are going to be listening to this episode. It is a very captivating conversation with my amazing guests that are on today, and I will get to that in just a few minutes. Okay, a couple items before we get rolling here. First, for the regular listeners, you know the format of the show that I go into depth talking about some running stuff and then go into some news. And at the very end, after whatever interview I do for that particular episode, I do a motivational quote. Well, all that's not going to happen in this episode. We are going to quickly roll into the conversation because that's what this episode's all about. Second, this is an incredible story you're about to hear. And I know some of you will want to comment. And there's two ways that you can do it. The first way, go to feelgoodrunning.com and go into the show notes for the episode. And at the very bottom, you can type in a comment. And second, what's really cool is on each page, when you go into feelgoodrunning.com, on the right side, there's an orange tab. You can click on that and you can leave a voice message up to three minutes. Pretty cool stuff. And uh, if you do leave a voice message, I may play it on a future episode. So those are two ways to give you an opportunity to leave a comment if you choose to do so. And of course, please share this episode with your friends and family and on social media. I truly believe this story is absolutely worth sharing with others. All right, now that you know what you need to do, let's get on with things. Man, what an honor. What an absolute honor it was to be able to sit with these three amazing individuals and hear their story from their perspective. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, some of you may know I live on Maui and recently we made national news. A 35-year-old woman named Amanda Eller was lost in the Makawa Forest Reserve, a beautiful area with hiking, running, and mountain bike trails. But there is a chance that if you veer off those trails, you'll find yourself in some thick forest with heavy foliage, dangerous ravines and waterfalls, and many more obstacles in a 2,200-acre parameter. And if you're not prepared, you can easily get lost. That's the case with Amanda. Miraculously, though, after 17 days, she was found alive. In our community out here on Maui, 
came out fast and furious to find her. Certainly, and as expected, there was speculation of abduction and other theories circulating around the island and through what we call out here Coconut Wireless and on social media, especially since her phone and belongings were left in the car. But as the Maui Police Department were investigating the possible abduction foul play angle, several volunteers from the community, sometimes peaking over 100 daily, and many of them with special skills and available resources, appeared at base camp at Makaba Forest to be part of this incredible community effort to find Amanda, who by all counts was presumed missing in the forest. Chris Burquist, Elena Prey, and Javier Cantalops Maui residents appeared at the Makawa Forest Reserve and became the core search and rescue team after it was handed off by the Maui Fire and Police Departments when their required by law 72-hour search and rescue efforts ended. Chris, who is originally from Chesapeake, Virginia, is a very intelligent, analytical, methodical professional that has an extreme passion for the outdoors. His calm demeanor and leadership qualities were quickly recognized by John Eller, Amanda's father, who asked him if he would stay throughout the search. Chris said, of course, and he became the leader of volunteers and all the search efforts. Chris, placing his concern for Amanda over himself, actually cost him his job. But no worries, another door opened. And you'll soon find out why Chris became the leader. Elena Prey, originally from Iowa, who now works for Repel Maui, is a very smart and passionate woman who showed up at base camp with her ropes to volunteer. However, due to her incredible skills and fearless passion, she quickly became the operations director. She worked not only with Chris and Javier to plan the searches of ravines and waterfalls, but to also coordinate the search dogs and other areas as the search and rescue efforts continued. She herself is a complete badass and was also out there repelling and searching ravines and waterfalls each day. Elena really is a very well-spoken and absolutely incredible woman. Javier Cantalops, originally from North and South Carolina, is a lightning rod, man. He is. I'm telling you, I love this guy. He is a former Army Special Ops Ranger that has done three tours in the Middle East, and I thank him so much for his service to our country. He is a professional dive instructor at Maui Dreams Dive Company here on Maui, and he is also a proud husband and father. Fear is not in Javi's vocabulary. He knew Amanda and knew that he had to find her. Appearing at base camp, he connected with Chris and from that point on was out there in the forest every day searching. He did whatever needed to be done and then some. He would repel, dive in the nasty waters, look anywhere and everywhere and take out search teams into the roughest of terrain. You cannot be around Javi for one minute without being fully motivated. His positive attitude and never give up mindset really kept this search alive and to its miraculous successful conclusion. It was only appropriate that Javi was on the helicopter that found Amanda and was the first person to reach her. No doubt. Awesome. So now it is my extreme honor to bring to you these incredible individuals who tell the story in their own words of the search and rescue efforts for Amanda Eller. And again, please be advised, there is some mature language. I 
I feel like I'm, uh, I'm in this room with greatness right now. It's absolutely amazing because there's so many people out there that have absolutely no business being famous for anything. And you all saved a life. You gave your life and you saved a life and you are the ones that should be famous. So I want to thank you all for coming in. So, um, Chris, tell me a little bit about yourself. You're from Virginia, Chesapeake. Yep. Uh, born and raised Chesapeake, Virginia and moved out to Maui about four years ago. Um, moved up to the upcountry area. Uh, about two years ago, and my yard backs up to the mock wild forest up there. And so I kind of tied in initially with all of that. Um, but yeah, have an older brother, um, two happy, healthy parents, my dog. I know you brought your dog Jackson in with you today. Yeah. How awesome is he that? He was there every day of the search. I felt like it was appropriate. That's so awesome. And uh, Elena, you are from Iowa. I am. I grew up in eastern Iowa in Davenport. I stayed in Iowa for college. I went to the University of Iowa, moved to Maui in 2013, uh, got a job at a restaurant. That kind of sucked. So I got a job as a repelling guide and that's pretty cool. Did you ever do repelling before that or? I'm from Iowa, right? There's no mountains there. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> Not wow. at all. So you don't have a problem with heights at all. <laughs> no, I, that's a short person thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like to be up higher. One of my podcast episodes I did a while back uh, started off because I, I do a lot of running and I run, uh, especially Saturday morning. I really love this run that I do from Polo Beach down to McKenna. Mm -hmm. And I do it early. It was in the wintertime. And I was thinking, man, I'm out here early and I have my... Uh, uh, lights on and all that. And I'm by myself. And I said, you know, women, they can do this, but always have to look over their shoulder. And it really hurts for me when I hear about a runner that, you know, is abducted for whatever. And Iowa last year had Molly Tibbetts and yeah. she went to the University of Iowa mm -hmm. and, um, you know, she was from Brooklyn and, and she got abducted and unfortunately, it didn't work out very well for her. Um, and we did, uh, it kind of circulated around after the episode Absolutely. came out here, uh, because I talked about that and we ended up putting on a female running self-defense class with a woman by the name of Tasha Scott, Good, or not that. Tasha Scott, Tasha Church. And then she did a, a eight, six week program, six or eight week program, powerhouse gym. We're going to do it again at the end of July. That's so, awesome. That's my gym. That's where I work out. Yeah. So it's going to be free. Yeah. The guy who owns it from, is from Iowa. He's from the same town as me. Logan Peicher, Logan, the yeah. guy who bought it. He's from Bettendorf, Iowa. That's my hometown. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's I, call, I call him the Joe Rogan of uh, That's Maui. Yep. Javier. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> Always good, man. How are you doing, buddy? All right. You got a big resume. I mean, you uh, got a big resume. It, it, Tell me. on paper. Definitely on paper. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, I'm a Puerto Rican guy. I actually grew up yes, in, you are. Uh, I'm born and raised in Puerto Rico until I was about eight and then grew up in the South, North and South Carolina. So I'm really a country boy. Then the military, and the military got me to explore the beauty of the Middle East. From 2000 <laughs> to 2004, right? Yeah, to 2005. How, when, 2005. When did you move over to in uh, Carolinas? It, oh, in, in Carolinas? Yeah. In 89. 
Oh, okay. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I grew up since I was nine in North yeah. and South Carolina. So oh, nice. Yeah. I ended up with a Southern accent speaking Spanish. So. Right. <laughs> and so you were a, a Army Special Ops Ranger. That's right. Third Ranger Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment. 75th. And you did uh, tours. Yeah, you did three two, tours. You did Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah, I did two tours in Afghanistan, one tour in Iraq. Right. Got to see the sights and yeah, <laughs> have a have a combat jump into Afghanistan. The wonderful sights. The sure. wonderful sights. A lot of mountains actually. So big mountains in Afghanistan. So yeah, a lot yeah. of mountain training up there as well. Oh wow, that that must have been very interesting for yeah. you. And then through, I mean, story after story, I live here in Maui now as a dive instructor. So I teach scuba diving and free diving, and right. privately I teach spear fishing and. Lived in Costa Rica and moved here from the Outer Banks, so I've been bouncing around. You've been bouncing around. I've been bouncing around. Is this your favorite place? This is. We were just talking about it. It's hard to pick another place right now, man. Wow. I really love Maui. It's been magical. It's powerful. It's. If you love being outside as I do and do what I do, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've been here seven years, and I agree with you a thousand yeah. percent on that. You know, once you get here. It's hard to leave. It, it's hard to leave. It's hard to choose another spot that gives you that feeling all the way around. Right. All the way around. Not just physically, not just materially, but spiritually, like as a person, socially, you know, and physically outside, especially if you're in the outside realm like we are. Exactly. You know, if you want to enjoy the beauty of the outside physically. Right. You know, and it will take you to all the other levels of it. So right. Maui's very, very special. All right. So you did, did you all, yeah, I agree. Did you all know each other beforehand or did you meet just uh, at this whole, this whole thing that we're going to be talking about here? They knew each other. Yeah. Well, you know everybody. Well, yeah, right. Javi knows everyone. So Javi's friends with my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. But we're we were acquaintances. We were we were, we were friends before. I never had met Chris before. No. He he showed up and just started running the whole thing from the inside as we were all searching. So he showed up and I brought her in and then we met right at that same junction where he stepped in. We all stepped in right at the same time. And I was more in the search effort. She was more in the ropes effort right in the beginning. And Chris was in the coordination. And then as it just continued to progress, she went into the coordination with him with him and then we all just became best friends and it's been like together <laughs> forever it feels like you, well you, you'll be bonded forever yeah for sure 100 all right so on uh, may 8th of this year this uh, person which is amanda went up to the makua forest reserve and she went to the hunter's trail which is the first entrance when you go there to the left i went up there not this past weekend, but the weekend before, I wanted to run the whole thing and just kind of get a feel for the area so I knew what you all were talking about. Went out. I still haven't determined uh, what exactly she was going out there to do, whether it was a hike or a run, because I've heard she mentioned hike, she mentioned run. So anyway, she was out there to, for, to get away for about three miles, from what I understand. For sure. And uh, kind of veered off the trail only to go out and found a tree, laid down, hung out and listened to the wind and meditated a little bit. Um, and then she got up and started to try to get back to the car and the trails all looked the same to her. And she thought she was going in the right direction. And again, if I say anything out of line, just tell me. Okay, because I you're, this you're is on. this is everything that I've yeah. I've read, and um, she's kind of circled around for about a hour and a half, and thinking that she was going to get back on, and she realized she was getting a little disoriented, and then she became lost. News broke the next day. It wasn't really that first day that she got lost. Um, it was the next day, and uh, it kind of 
just blew up. It was all over the place. So tell me how you all got involved. Did you get involved from the first day or, or how did it all happen where you got up there? I got involved immediately. Like, so I, I got involved as soon as I saw her Facebook post. Um, well, internally got involved as soon as I saw her Facebook post. I think it was so she got lost on the 8th. Right. And they reported her on the 9th. And I think it was like the 10th. Right. When, when did I call you the next day or something like that? Something like that, yeah. It was pretty much as soon as I saw that Facebook post in the morning, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I'm going to go search for her. Was that the find Amanda that page was find, already? It was. It, no, it was a Facebook post that Amanda Eller had been gone missing. And yeah, there was already the flyer had been made. I don't think of find Amanda. Yeah, that wasn't out yet. But the flyer had been made. And my wife told me at 530 in the morning, this, the first day it came out on, on Facebook. I was like, holy shit. I was like, I'm going up there and search for her. I lo immediately looked at my schedule. Couldn't avoid working that day, but pretty much made a plan for the next day and from, from whenever on to go out there. Right. And I immediately called Miles, Miley Search and Rescue like sometime at that, at that time frame. I think I waited for the next day. That's right. I waited for the next day and I saw that she was still missing. And I was like, holy shit. She really is missing. That's yeah. what it was. It was actually, so I found out the next day, the next day I waited because I was like, there's no way they're not going to find her. That, you know, it's Amanda. She's going to be like right there. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Boom. And you knew her before. I did know her before. Yeah. You know, and had, I had actually just seen her recently. We didn't talk, but I'd seen her. I'd physically seen her a week prior. And I immediately called Maui Search and Rescue the next day. And I was like, hey, what's going on? What is going on up there? What's the search coordination happening over there? Blah, 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 blah. I spoke with MJ. They're like, we're meeting at 9 a.m. that, you know, tomorrow, if you want to come. Or it was 7.30 a.m. I apologize, not 9 a.m. And I was like, I'll, I'll be there. And I pretty was much. Was that the 10th? That was the Friday. 10th. That's exactly. Friday. I, I'll, if I go through my Facebook, it You'd was Friday. Me. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It was Friday. That's exactly right. And I went out Saturday. That was my first day. And when I came back, I immediately went to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, I got involved as soon as I heard about it. And did you go up immediately too? Yeah. So I've been following it on Facebook from the beginning and it's sad. I mean, she's my age. She right. looks like me. She has the yeah. same interests as me. I have three best friends named Amanda. Hmm. Um, and his first day was whatever that weekend. And that weekend was mother's day. And right. that was like the first day that, um, but the first or second day that the police and the fire department were going to do it. And I just kept thinking about her mom, whoever that was. I didn't know right. who her mom was, but how horrible. I know. Your daughter lives across the world and then goes missing. And now the police aren't looking anymore. And then he has, you know, he's sharing his story on Facebook. So I'm following it the whole thing. You know, this is what he did the first day. And the second day he needs ropes. And I'm like, well, I have ropes. Come on over and borrow some. Yep. Yeah. Wait, you need friends to go with you too. So it started as sharing gear and then became like, I'm off today. I'll help you. And then once you go once, That's it. you got to go the next day and the next day. And every day I was like, this will be the last day we'll find her. And right. Two weeks later, we found her. And you found her. Chris, how about you? How did you get hooked into all this? So uh, it was that Sunday and Sunday was my day off. So I was uh, getting ready to go paragliding with Jackson and I was hopping on Facebook. I didn't know she was missing. And a lady I used to work for, Patty Cadez, that runs the kiteboarding school down there on the North Shore, tagged me in a post that Amanda was missing and they were looking for repellers to come help. And so she said, Chris, you should go help. So I went down there to the parking lot that day. The Oahu repel team had just left about half an hour before I got there. And there was just a couple of folks milling around in the parking lot. 
fire was there standing around the front of the truck. I had Jackson in an orange vest and a tracking collar. So we looked really official. <laughs> and so people started coming up asking us where they should go. And somebody had handed me a notepad and a sign in sheet initially, uh, cause I didn't know what I was going to do. I was there to repel and, and the repelling team had left. So I'd been signing folks in as they showed up, nobody was going anywhere. I went over to fire. They said, uh, they had hit the end of their 72 hour window. So they weren't going to be searching that day. They were just kind of hanging out for the morning and they shared with me the map that they had at the time. Uh, and so I used the information I could get from them and the folks that kept showing up and asking and started sending folks out. And then when Mr. Eller showed up that evening, he asked if I was going to be there until we found her. And so that's when I got tied in. So the, the rule and the law out here is a, a search and rescue effort with the MPD or the Maui Fire Department is 72 hours. And no matter how emotionally involved they are, they have to, they have to discontinue it because that's the law and they have to go do jobs, you know, wherever they do it, which kind of sucks in a way for the person that's lost, um, uh, in certain areas. But, but here, um, the efforts took over by you all and you ended up on the other side of the table as the leader. Yeah. And so I would say I got appointed to that level that the Monday following. So the Sunday that John showed up, he asked me if I would stay. I said, yes. Uh, and then we, he had a meeting with fire and PD, uh, the next day. Was that a handoff that they gave to you? Yes. And so the fact that I went with him kind of affirmed the point, position for being that interim between fire PD search and rescue and any other folks that we were going to have assist us on that level, uh, and John in the search effort. Uh, and so they handed off a much better map and a better idea of what they had done. And they talked to us about what assets were available. Uh, and it was a very good meeting that we had with them. Um, pretty decent handoff of information at that point. Uh, and then we kind of evolved everything from there, but that's when my level went from being the guy in the parking lot to the guy who was a bit more responsive to everything. What, what was done in those first 72 hours? Did they have a pretty descriptive notes and all that? No, not so much. Not so much. Uh, they had executed their search plan. Um, so there was no grid to be handed off. Uh, you know, we don't lose people for an extended period of time that often. Right. And one of the bigger reasons that the 72 hour window is there is because so many things are generally resolved within that 72 hours. Right. Uh, I'm sure there are bigger reasons for that. Um, but, uh, you know, they don't have a strict protocol that was handed off for a wilderness search at that point. And so they had dogs in there. They had their people in there. They, they did a line search from the top down, but the reality of that terrain is that a line search is not very effective. And they were very honest about that. They said, you know, if you have the people go search it again, uh, you know, we did what we could, but we are only set up to do so much. And, and that's realistic. A lot of folks are, are kind of griping about what police and fire were able to do, but their scope of practice is so big and they still have everything else on the island to respond to. And exactly. So, uh, you know, they, they did what they could do and they established a bit of a trail, but the truth is, was there was nothing to go on. Right. Uh, and, and that was, that was the theme for the entire two weeks that she was missing, which is why abduction became such a big topic is because there was absolutely nothing to go on. Exactly. Uh, and so we can't, you know, you, you can't hold a grudge for that. Maybe there's a reason to change some policy or a reason to change some ideas. Maybe not. Um, 
but, uh, you know, we learned a lot of lessons from the, from the whole evolution of that. And I'm sure we'll talk about it throughout this, but, uh, one of the bigger things we learned was that if there is going to be an initial search, uh, by fire and PD for there to be a better handoff of information for there to be a trackable search, uh, and for there to be a plan to accompany that search, that's easier to hand off to a civilian search party. That was definitely one of the bigger lessons we took away from that. Right. And you had, uh, you had very little, you just basically had a map. I think you mentioned there's somebody somewhere I read that really all you had was a map and you were using pirate X marks yeah. when you first started. I, I brought the first series of maps there. That's right. You were telling me about I, that. I printed them up and like, yeah, my printer. Cause I'd showed up the first day and fire and rescue were there and, they had a map. They had one big map, uh, you know, and then a butcher block of where they'd been searching. And I'm like, okay, I showed up with a paper map that I printed that day of the actual forest. So I could actually see where I'm going with an app ready to track my results right. so that I can share with you where I exactly I have been since we're in the year 2019, you know. And when I came back and saw exactly how it was all unfolding and I knew I was returning back, I was like, we've got to print out maps. I was still in, you know, in my house. I'm, I have zero backing. I was like, I'm going to go home early in the morning. I'm going to send Christina and make a whole bunch of maps with the overlay and the and the and the, the track that I did that exact day and just start there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then we and then I remember I remember when I first met Chris was really I saw him in the middle. But I remember when I first paid attention to you was when you showed up with a big ass map. I was like, yes, you, you. Yes, yes. I love you already. The map. You have gotten us a map here. Holy crap. You know what I mean? It's it's so amazing. And, and we'll get to this in a little bit. But as your daily updates progressed, you went from having a map to looking like it was NORAD in oh, Colorado yeah. with mm-hmm. big screen yeah. and computers and generators and, you know, all this stuff. Yes. It was, it was interesting to see. So you're up in, in the forest and of course, you know, there's a lot of things going on down, you know, there's all the speculation, all this other stuff um, and get that out in a little bit too. But um, all of a sudden people started showing up and you're in charge now how did you handle that when all of these people started coming in and and you know i'm sure that there were some people that looked very fit and ready to get out there and you knew where to put them and there was others that were just up there to just be up there how did you organize and, and start the organization of this so it was mother's day weekend uh so the majority of folks that we had in that first volunteer push were mothers daughters older folks um we had 30% of the people there were prob- were extremely physically fit and between the ages of 25 and 50. Um, and so initially, because we had such little data to go on and the information we had about Amanda was that she ran on the trails out there, it was really easy to initially get folks out and get them searching because we had so many obvious areas that needed to be searched. Right. Um, I've worked a lot in rescue before. I've not worked a lot in searching, but there were just some common sense things going on there at that point. Uh, 
uh, where we were able to utilize folks. And it was very encouraging that so many volunteers were showing up. So it was really easy to keep the motivation up. It, it never felt swamped. Uh, it always felt like there were just enough people showing up that every time we had a good idea of where to send them out to, we let them come back. And honestly, at first, I wasn't giving them an assignment. We were just blindly sending them out because we were so stoked that we could suddenly track them. We're like, man, we need to know where people have looked because right. all we've had so far is hearsay of, oh, I started there and I, I came out down there by that waterfall. You know that waterfall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Past the Black Gate, right? There's that, you know, there's like 30 waterfalls down there. Yeah. So folks keep coming back. And, and what we're realizing is that everyone's coming out of the same fucking waterfall. And so once we realized we could track for the first four days or so, we didn't focus too hard on where we were sending folks as long as they were going out and it sounded like they were going somewhere else. And then we started to see big holes and big gaps on the map. And then it became very easy to have assignments for folks because we still had this relatively tight radius of, to the parking lot and a lot of really blank areas. And so it wasn't too tough to connect the dots that we need to fill those areas in to make sure she's not there one way or another. Um, and, and so it, it never felt overwhelming. And by the time it progressed to a point where we were feeling the pressure of managing a full size search, I had a good team around me. Yeah. Uh, and so they were it, already in place. It, it all happened on its own. Um, you know, Elena finally got out of the field and stayed in the tent. Javi kept showing up and leading the teams deeper and deeper. We started to develop local resources who knew the area. Uh, you know, we were getting better and better communication with DLNR and the local landowners. Um, the brief finally came together in the morning that it became a fluid thing. So we became naturally geared up to send these people out. Um, I think really the impressive thing is, is how organically it all came together. Right. Um, but people keep, keep talking like the three of us or, or, or some sort of a, a miracle team there. Really the miracle was the community that kept showing up. There were, there were volunteers out there that were there just as much as we were. Uh, and they were changing their lives just as much as we were to be out there. I think and they're there for, because of y'all though, because you guys are good motivators, yeah. you in the field, you in the tent, people want to come back and work with a team and right. they really made it feel like a team. And like everyone was part of the team, not just us or Troy or whoever. Right. Mot motivational, but also yeah. good organizers yeah. that you, did you do pods? Did you have a, a leader for every single one of the little groups no, that you sent so out? I, or? I really avoided electing leaders for those groups hmm. because, and, and sometimes that came back to bite us because the groups would split based on a difference of decision. And I didn't give anybody a Trump card, right? Uh, which is a shitty phrase these days. Uh, <laughs> don't, uh, don't say that again. An overruling <laughs> card. Um, you know, there, there was only a handful of times where a group leader would have been a, a, to a benefit. Really, everyone was there on a volunteer basis. Everyone was there to help. So there was no reason to put anybody above anybody else in the decision making process. And generally, those leaders present themselves in the field. The people that want to follow will follow. The people that want to lead will lead. Will lead, right. And, and when you have a major difference of decision out there, it was usually based on a feeling or an intuition that somebody wanted to go left and or just bad directions from the tent, maybe loose directions from the tent. It was like, okay, go here. And this was before we were giving them waypoints, uh, physically on the, on the app and folks would be like, no, I think it's this way. And somebody else would be like, no, no, I think it's this way. And, and the group would split. And so we learned a lot from that. That was, a, that was a constant learning process of how to manage the groups and, and how to keep all of them involved and how to keep the egos out of it and, and keep it objective. 
Um, but again, with, with the team that I had behind me, uh, you know, we had this girl, Susan, who was on vacation from Sweden and Switzerland. She's from Switzerland. Sorry. Switzerland. Yeah. Edit that out. Probably begins with an S. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, and she stepped up and she came to search and then saw that I was standing there with a legal pad sending people out and she does office to, you know, support an office organization for a living. Uh, and, and she was just in, in horror at what she saw me doing so loosely with paper and, and a flip phone. So instead of going out to search, she stayed in camp that day and I fought her tooth and nail about staying and, and making me put everything on spreadsheets and, and have all these people sign in on spreadsheets and stuff like that. And luckily by t- day two, I think I finally came around to it and she's what, what made all of that such a fluid thing. All of a Absolutely. sudden we had digital check-in, we had people doing the data dump before they went home. We had good, clear, concise uh, information for folks of, you know, what the logistics of what we were doing were. And, and we were keeping track suddenly of all of our resources on the volunteer basis. What was her um, name? Susan. And she was dedicated. She showed up and did that she busy did work every, every single day, day so that we didn't have to do it. Oh, that's so awesome. On her vacation with her husband and her son. Were you blown away by all the different people that came up with the skills that they had? Such a quality yep. and, and diverse skill set on this island. You wouldn't find that anywhere other than maybe Colorado, maybe California. That's where I moved know? here from Denver. So <laughs> yeah. I I was thinking like back home in Virginia, you know, back right. in Chesapeake or in West Virginia, where I spent a lot of my time, you'd find a solid group of mountainy outdoorsy people, but you're not going to find licensed FAA pilots and uh, free divers and climbers and, uh, you know, a support staff of ATVs and horses and dirt bikes. And uh, what else did we have going on there? People cooking for us every day. Oh, so Such much good food. food. Homemade brownies that were still warm when oh they showed gosh. up to base camp. Like everyone who had a skill put it to use in some way. Oh and the canine teams that were yeah. coming out. Right. And uh, so it was really impressive. And, and a lot of the folks who were involved on official capacity, they're all fathers, you know, and they all have families. So they all right. felt a personal attachment to it as well, yeah. which, which probably helped us keep a little bit of traction during those down times and those harder times. Uh, you know, there was definitely a, a, a Tuesday where everything felt really hard in camp. Everybody could feel it. Mm-hmm. And uh, was it the first Tuesday? No, it was the second Tuesday. It was the day before we started getting assistance, uh, before we got a different software platform to use to map our terrain data. Yeah. Yeah. That Monday I, I sent out an all call, you know, to, to other SAR teams to ask them if they had any bright ideas. And out of that, we got a software platform to use, uh, that started to offer us a terrain analysis mm-hmm. and give us a better plan, not based just on radius from her vehicle, but available terrain where she could have traveled to. And when everybody could see that on the big screen and, and I came into camp with a bunch of energy and a whole new plan that day. And I'm emailing everybody and calling everybody and letting them know we have a whole new plan. You could feel there was a, there was a big upturn that day, but everybody that day before was really just feeling the drags of, you know, I've been sending these people out out of that man, out of that search, we got 5,200 man hours into that search entirely. Right. Yeah. I got that right here. And so I would say about 3000 hours into that search is when we started to feel kind of the strain of sending these people out every day and they're always coming back empty handed. When you sent them out, besides just trying to find Amanda, a physical human being, did you give them some instructions on other things to look for while they were out there? Absolutely. What what were they? So when I would send folks out, we'd tell them that if they found something that seemed pertinent to the search, take a picture of it, drop a pin on it. And if it's one of the items that she was wearing 
or something that was obviously sign of foul play, somebody should be calling me as they're dropping the pin and taking the picture and two other people should be hiking out to the nearest trailhead to meet us and bring us in. If it was questionable and they weren't sure, just go ahead and take a picture of it, drop a pin on it, report it when you get back to base camp and we'll evaluate it from there. So it was obviously trash. Go ahead and bring it out of the woods. And so we brought a lot of trash out. So that was good. Um, and we had, you know, initially we had a lot of shoes and we had a lot of articles of clothing and we had a lot of footprints. I've bet I've got 800 footprints on my email, um, that all could have been Amanda's, but they're all volunteers. Right. Uh, and we learned a lot from that too. You know, that was before we were tracking. It's like, man, I don't know if anybody has been here yet. And there's footprints by the, by the Creek bed. Yeah. And before we were tracking our search, there's no way to tell that. So we learned a lot with all of that. <laughs> they, they, they found articles of clothing. They, Lots you know, people sent us pictures of a pair of ripped up jean shorts, you know, and you're like, Jesus Christ, you know, it's like, I don't think that's what she's wearing out here, but all right. You know, every, every clue that, that came in was always stressing, you know, I'm not adding cause I was searching. Uh, he, he did all, all the briefings and sending everybody out. I was out there searching. I was always under the impression that she was farther away than we're searching. I was going either to the super hard repelling spots. Let me free dive any of these, you know, these waterfalls that are obviously a question mark. What's at the bottom of that waterfall? Well, fuck. Yeah. I guess somebody's got to search it. You know what I mean? I guess I'm going to do that. Yeah. And then I kept going, trying to get farther and farther farther away, even if it was ridiculous, you know, I went all the way up to Hosmer's Grove as an example, you know, I just, she's got to be further away than this. We're, we keep searching in this and we have to, cause there's a huge hole in the map, you mm -hmm. know, because it, once you start saturating it, you can actually see it. <clears throat> but looking at it, I was always under the impression she's got to be further away. So I was trying to search and try to go farther and put together teams that could go out with me, even if it was a small team to help me stay motivated and help me get farther away. Did you all access, uh, uh, set up where they access from different areas and just a base camp came in from different areas? Yeah. When we dropped our uh, Swiftwater team down Waikamoi, we drove them up. So we were using the upper piece of Haleakala Ranch to get people in. We were using the lower access, uh, which would be the upper piece of P.E. Holo Ranch to get people in as well. And then we sent some folks in from Avalau. Uh, there was a homeowner that came out and let us use their property as a way in. Mm -hmm. Uh, yep. So, and, and that was the next step. We were, we were realizing that if we didn't find her by the end of that weekend, that we were no longer going to have a base camp in the Mockwell forest. And then we were going to be setting up remote search starts from twin falls or garden of Eden or something yep. like that. Right. Right. Where we were headed, we were headed pretty yep. much to where we found her. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. So what is operations director? What was your responsibilities? Because it was more than just repelling. I think you yeah. you did a mm -hmm. lot of, I saw, you know, yeah. when they, whether it was one on, I don't know, YouTube or whatever it was, Maui Now, that you were talking about the dogs, you were heading mm -hmm. up the dogs. Yeah. So that's a personal interest of mine. So that was kind of where I was drawn just when they showed up. I was like, you guys are so cool. What can you teach me? And how can I help you with coordination and stuff? But yeah, it started with repelling. That's just a skill that's become easy for me and hiking with someone who can keep up with Javier. There's not very many people who can. Um, and then when I met actually my, yeah, my intention to come back the next day, I realized that base camp was kind of a mess. I hadn't met Chris yet, even though he was there, I had missed him on that, that weekend. And, um, I had just kind of overheard Kim Scott or Sarah Haynes saying like, we need help. We don't, people are calling with information. We don't necessarily know where that, that place is, or we have to answer all the phone calls. How can we talk to people in person? Like, cool. I can listen to what people have to say. Mm -hmm. People would just show up at base camp with an idea. I think she's here. She's in this house. She's in that car. There's this person who hangs out here who's kind of weird. Um, and then I started kind of like 
finding things about the data. Like I was just kind of scrolling through Facebook comments at night. Cause I was like, I have to find out more about this, you know? And I came across someone had posted this um, email address, find Amanda at insightmobiledata.com. And I was like, why is no one using this? Yeah. So the next day I showed up at camp and was writing it in magic marker all over camp, handing it out to people before people went searching, you know, he would kind of tell them where, and I would make sure that the app was downloaded on their phone, that they knew how to use it. And as soon as they came back, they knew to find me and I would send the data myself like mm-hmm. to the email address, just to make sure that it was done every time. And then those people knew how to do it. And then when they came back the next day, it was easier. And so that was a big responsibility. And you went out when you needed to repel. Mm -hmm. Um, If they found a spot, you were the person that went out there. Or I would call my friends, my friends who, you know, weren't there every day, people who have jobs and things like that and try to organize, help organize a team to do big canyons that we needed to do. Because I know a lot of people in the canyoneering community Mm -hmm. and I kind of know their schedules and I know their skills. And a lot of them had contacted me. How can I help? You know what I mean? Um, and then just working with the team. Did you, did you go team. to a lot of the waterfalls back there in the past and no, know some no, of them? No, I didn't no. even know there was waterfalls in the Makawa wow. Forest. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people told us there was not waterfalls in the Makawa Forest. It wasn't, you know, we found a lot, but yeah, yeah. no, I had only been to the Makawa Forest one time before that. Javier had never been to the Makawa <laughs> Forest before we went to look for Amanda. It's not a place I'm familiar with. Tell the listeners out there, don't get any ideas to go out and try to find waterfalls. No, honestly, <laughs> a lot of them were pretty gross. Some of the things that Javier was swimming in were stagnant, dead animals inside. It's it's not the kind of waterfalls people are necessarily. One article that I read said that, uh, yeah. you know, had to, she had to be careful out yeah. there drinking water because some Absolutely. of that is so toxic that, you know, it could cause death immediately. Right. And well, and the water she was drinking was not in the Mockwell forest. Yeah. Right. Like she got fairly far. So right. different type of um, microclimate even. Right. So let's go to another. Uh, uh, you were up there. Did you go home at night or did you camp out up there? I did. No. I went home at night. Yeah, we had to go. Went home. home every single night and drove up there every day. Um, So at the end of the day, did you have a debriefing from everybody? And how did you plan the next day? Did you sit sit at home and try to figure it all out? So when you got up there and all the volunteers were there, you're ready to go. I was trying to me minimally because he's in charge of everyone. So he's doing what he's about to tell you, which was everything. I'm pretty sure Javi and I text each other in our sleep. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, We're in contact as much as humanly possible. It's hard not to speak continuously. Because we're like, oh, right. shit, I have an idea. You're like, oh, oh, hey, did you think of this? Oh, yeah, no, 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 we should try. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Two in the morning, waking yeah. up from a dead sleep. Like, no, did you I think was of this? definitely not asleep by two o'clock <laughs> in the morning. I was sleeping. Yeah, he's having to deal with all the emails. But we were, we were trying to stay together until sunrise, meaning somehow in contact. What, what's the next plan? What have you found out? What, 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 what? And so at the end of the day, uh, I would close up the gate. I was always the last one to leave. Make sure the tents all closed up. Make sure we have all of our people out. That was my biggest responsibility. Make sure we got all of our people out. And then we got better at it. First, I was getting home at nine. And then by the end of week one, I was getting home at more like 7.30 or 8. Because we, we were supposed to be out of there by 7.00 realistically we were out of there more like 8 30 and they weren't going to really push it that hard they were awesome they, they, were so they nice. would hang out in the truck and is that we were, dnlr up there i i think it's a private contractor through oh, okay. dlnr yeah yeah um and it, it's these two groups uh, there's a group of girls that come out and then there's a family that comes out and they're responsible for locking up the gate uh and they would just hang we're all on a first name basis by the end of it and they would just hang out and whether you know, even if it was till nine o'clock and we we're waiting for our people to get their their act together and get out of there um, but we, we got wise to it and we got better about it. Uh, so I would get home, uh, I'd go through the emails and see if anything new had come up. 
And then I would write this big email that went out every night. Uh, and so what I realized through all of this effort is that the job of the search coordinator is half coordinator and half cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it, it was a big part of it. It started off as trying to let people know what we had accomplished that day and what the plan was for tomorrow. And it, it became more of a staple than that, uh, by the end of it all. But that's when I would try to come up with the plan. But the reality is we never knew how many people were going to show up the next day. Uh, we never knew what the weather was going to be doing. We always hoped that we would find her that day. So people are like, Oh, I need to know what you're doing. Like this coming weekend, like fuck, we found her this coming weekend. Right. Isn't that the idea? Um, so there was never much of a plan until I would get up, you know, when I go to bed that day, I would let people know if we had a big idea, um, or if we knew that we had specific things that we needed, like we ended the day with a couple of pools that needed to be dove, or we ended the day with some waterfalls that need to be checked out. Uh Um, if we had a team going deep or if we had the hunters coming in, I'd let folks know about that. Um, I'd let folks know if we had an area that was five or six hours away. And so if they were going to be there for the big search to be there by eight or something like that, that was about as far as the, the pre-planning went. Cause again, it was, it was always a matter of, of just seeing who would show up. Some days we had 140, some one or two days we had 40, right. uh, that was the lowest our number got. I think we had actually, had, I think I feel like 60 to include support staff was, was probably it our lowest weekend. Day. That was the highest numbers for you. Yeah. And it was, it was middle of the week on week two that things kind of dipped down, but all through week one, we sustained above a hundred, uh, which was really impressive. Um, and so, yeah, more of an, uh, a wing in it plan, especially until we got, uh, everything digitized and we were getting a better stream. And then once we lined up with, with the guys on the West coast who gave us that software platform and we made more of a terrain plan, then we were able to kind of look a few days out. Cause we knew that if we didn't clear all of this area today, that was the goal. And we knew exactly what goal two was for tomorrow. Um, you know, and, and our helicopter team kind of had its own schedule of knocking stuff out. The canine team based on availability had their schedule of knocking stuff out. Uh, same with the hunters, the hunters were only allowed to run their dogs on certain days. And those were who we felt were being safest going way deep out there into the woods, uh, because of the size of the pigs out there. And they knew what they were doing and where they were going. Yeah. And so regardless of whether or not folks are trail savvy and, and hiking safe and hiking proficient, the realities of the wilderness out there are that, uh, a, the ginger patches hide the edges of cliffs in a way that nothing else does. And B is the hunter's dogs keep them alert out there to the bigger pig presence and run the pigs away from them more importantly. Uh, so yeah, that was, and it was a volunteer base. You know, I can only send people so far with so much assurance that they were being safe. And that's kind of where we ended up with the day that we were, that we found her is looking into sending people further and further out. Cause we were getting outside of that one day search parameter. We had really exhausted our one day search parameter pretty reasonably. Can I ask you each, what would you say in all those days was your lowest point? Oh, I know exactly what was my lowest point. My lowest point was when I went out with the hunters. When we, when I took the hunters out, I, we'd been searching for, I don't even know how many days at that point. And I'd been like, we've got to get Troy. That was Saturday. That was Saturday. I was like, we've got to get Troy. Let me go out with Troy. Let me take these dogs out. Let me see if there's a body out here, man. Let me just push far into this 
terrain with actually some resource that can go way beyond a human limit. And I remember going out with Troy and going deep and finding a pig and killing a pig. And it was like the craziest adventure ever and going way deep into it. And and also seeing the, the map where we've been already, right. you know what I mean? And, and going out with these, with these dogs and coming out. And I remember being like, she is not in those woods. I don't care. I'm not going to go back into this perimeter. Okay. Right. I was like, she's not in there. And I remember going into a very dark spot that day. That's probably when we were talking about. It was like it was getting low. I was like, she's not in there. She, I'm not saying she's she's not dead in there. All right. I, I'm just saying she's not it right. Were you were you presuming the worst when you, you sound like you, you at that point so, you were you know, thinking the worst? Exactly. In those days, in that day. I was just saying she's not in there. She's not dead in this immediate area. Okay, so we need to search farther. Uh, there's, there, I'm not a private investigator, so I cannot search homes and I can't let myself get into this nether world of like what ifs, but she's not in there. All right. So I remember, I think I even take a, I took a day off or something like that. I had to go back to work, you know, and got to dive. And that's in the exact same time that he got with Sartopo guys. And we started talking about, you know, searching farther. And we kind of got a confirmation on that from them. Be like, Hey, you guys need to go way further out. You, you're still getting stuck inside this, this perimeter. It's like, yes, that's it. I remember we, the energy came back. Like, that's right. We need to keep searching further. She's not here. It's because she's still walking. Right. You know what I mean? She, but she's not dead right here. I have a yeah. quote uh, that, that I found uh, with you. And it basically just said, if we didn't find her or smell her, she is out there. That's right. It's my favorite quote. <laughs> we didn't find her. It's a we haven't smelled her. <laughs> she's out there. I know it it's is when you think about it. It's, uh, and she's just on the move and she's moving out. Right. And everybody's like, why would you say that? Because like, that's the truth. Because well, we said that at every that day camp. Yeah. That was part yeah. of the briefing. Yeah. You need to start. We're at a point where reality sets in. And we need to start smelling, guys. So if you smell something, that was reality on day three and four. I mean, I really, yeah. that was when that really became it. part of the briefing. So yeah, that's why you know, it you, was a real thing. If you hear flies, you have to investigate no, it. I, if you smell something, you don't get to leave the area until you identify the. And that's why right. those dogs, from my military experience of smelling a body and being out in a fucking combat zone, right? You smell a fucking body. Yeah, right. You got eleven dogs. They're gonna smell a body. Right. Exactly. Right. I don't give a shit. Yeah, we, they, we may not be able to smell them because it's, but those, those dogs are going to smell it and they're right. gonna run to it, you know, easy like that. Wow. Without one dog like being held, you know, and it's a huge area. Right. You know, it's a huge area. And that's why it's like, man, it's really easy to give up hope because it, we've been searching for so long, but there's still so much area. Like so much that you can get to. Very but you had inside the never give up, never give up attitude. Unless you point a different direction. Yeah. Show me another piece of evidence. Elena, what about you? What was your low point? Um, middle of week two, I had a previously planned off island commitment that I had to go to. And I came home early because I couldn't be away. Um, but being away and having phone conversations with Chris and Javier, I, one of the things I remember the most was hearing about Chris had done a helicopter flight and felt pretty like low after that because partly of um, seeing the pigs, how many pigs are out there, how big they are, how real of a problem that is. Um, and I'm from Iowa. I'm fully aware of what pigs can do to people alive or dead. Um, right. And so that became, you know, being away, hearing um I don't know the right word, but just um, like feeling like, oh, this is the theory that I want to get behind. This is my conspiracy that I believe. Um, and my partners are bummed. You know what I mean? And I'm not there. Yeah. And so I caught the next flight that I could back to Maui. 
you know, came up to the search area right away. And that was the first time that I got to see the big screen TV. They got the big screen TV when I was away. And so as soon as I walked in, like any of that low moment turned to a high moment. Like, How oh, big was that TV? Huge. It's like 82 inches. Bigger than me. Way bigger. So, you know, I bought. It's like from, that. It's like your whiteboard. Like that over yeah. there. I bought from uh, Brian Berkowitz, the photographer today. I bought that picture um, of you three in yeah. front of that screen with Javier looking yeah. at the thing here. Yeah. Yes. So I own that. If you ever need it, Thanks. I have the rights to it. So. I already have it. Sorry. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Well, then he ripped me off. We're, we use them for we use them for the marathon. He uh, shoots the marathon start line. That's cool. funny. So you got through that. The pig thing is really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know a lot about the pigs, but I did read this one thing in here. It the said, pig thing was crazy. Uh, it said here that they pick through the intestines of the boars yeah. that they killed to look for human remains. That was obvious. That was you? Yeah, man. That was me and Troy, man. Oh, my God. So, we, so you know, we go out and we're searching for her and we had got a hit early on from one of his dogs and uh, I mean, now we're starting to get into really the thick of it. You know what I mean? We're really getting into the thick of it and these dogs are really spread out and they, they damn find a pig and sure enough, we have to kill the pig. You know what I mean? They, so they kill the pig, and, right. and, and as soon as we do it, we both, me and Troy look at each other. I was like, "So we got to check the entrails of the pig." He's like, "Of course." Uh, like, all right. So we they dress the pig and then open it up. Nope. Sure enough, just just fruits and and, and grass and yeah. what pigs eat normally. You know, yeah. but it, it definitely gave you a real sense of heaviness. Yeah, especially for me. That was my first pig. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't there to be hunting. I was there <laughs> to were, track. Where these hunters were at. And you really didn't want to find anything. That wasn't, you just didn't want to, you didn't want to find any human remains in there. You were thankful that you didn't, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But it definitely was a heavy moment of, holy shit. Yeah. Chris, what about you? What was your low point? I think when you came back from the helicopter. That was, yeah, yeah, that was a big one. I called everybody and I was, I was super low when I came out of that. So, um, it was a morning. Let me backtrack a little bit. We found her day 17, day 16. I asked for the helicopter the morning of day 16. Morning of day 16, I went down to the heliport at four o'clock in the morning, 4.30, to meet the pilot and the FLIR operators, the guy running the infrared, to hook them up with the app and show them how to track their search and to get their tracks and to give them a search area that we would like them to search. And right before they're leaving, they're like, Hey, we have an empty seat on the bird. You want to come? And I knew that I had to be there to open the gate and get everything going at like seven, seven thirty that morning. But it was, it was fucking four thirty, four forty five in the morning. I was like, sure, I'll go wearing a t-shirt. It's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> however, we take off. And it's dark. So the, the, the idea behind using the infrared system is that it has to be cold uh, so that a heat signature stands out. And so once the sun starts to hit the tops of the treetops, it's no good. Uh, so we have to get out there early. And we knew that we had about an hour, hour and 20 minutes of operation by the time we got off. We got in the air at about five o'clock. And we're flying out there and we're, we're looking through the FLIR scope just so he can show me how it works. And we're seeing hundreds of deer in the fields and we're seeing hundreds of pigs in the fields and in the woods. And we start to get into the search area and we're running back and forth. And I'm just seeing all of these pigs. And 
we kind of exhaust the search area and Pete's like, yeah, this is where we've been flying and we've checked all this already. And he kind of takes us up and further out. And he's like, isn't that where that hot spot was, Jake? And Jake's like, yeah. And we look over there and there's like a 400 pound pig. I know it's 400 pounds because not wow. 30 seconds later, we saw a longhorn cattle, a longhorn cow standing up on the ridge. It was only a little bit bigger than the pig. Um, gnarly big white pigs and the definition of this FLIR unit is so good. You can see the ears and the nose and the hair on the pigs. Like it's really impressive. We're at about 1300 feet, uh, 900 feet up shooting at an angle. Um, and that was the first time I had been up. So that was the first time that I had seen the search area that I was sending people into the first time I had gotten a scope of how small, what we had explored was verse where she could potentially be. Uh, and the first time that I had seen how dramatic the gulches were and how big the spans were that people just couldn't reasonably access. And so, you know, all week people have been coming back being like, we just couldn't get in there. I'm like, try harder, you know, or, or look for a different way. And, and eventually we have these really big blank spots on the map that are very well defined. And you can see, you know, 40 to 60 hours of people trying to get into one area and it's blank. Mm -hmm. So we decided to send a drone into there or send dogs through there or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, but I came back from that, not knowing what to do. I came out off that flight and felt like I didn't know how to reasonably send people out and tell them to keep looking in the areas that we had been looking. Like I, I just felt I was crying. I think like I, I came out of it, not knowing what to do. Um, cause I had had so much conviction in what we were doing initially. And I knew this FLIR thing was such a cool tool and I saw how effective it was and it was that effective and we didn't find her, you know, and we saw so much from the helicopter and then we hadn't find her. And then Pete tells me how much flying they've already been doing. We didn't find her. And I'm, and we're sending more and more people out on the ground and, you know, we we've hit the limits of what they can reasonably achieve. It's not reasonable to keep sending people out there. So, we went through that day and that day sucked. That day sucked. Um, what, what day was that? How far into the search? That was the day before we found her. So yeah. that was. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that was. The, they, and, and everyone was broken at that point. Javi was back to work. You know, he was like, dude, fuck it. I'm, I'm not going out there again like that. Like there's, she's yeah. not there. Yeah. My, and, yeah. The, the plan was we got to go further out. I wanted to go yeah, back up yeah. to Troy because like he was saying, the hunters can't go back out during the week. And we had to wait for the weekend for Troy to be able to go back out. And yeah. so I was closing up the gate that night. I was on the motorcycle, locked up the gate. Elena had just left. And she's always the last one I talked to on the way out. She, she and I meet up at the gate. We kind of debrief each other. She goes home. I go home, make my plan. And I called John Eller. I'm like, Hey man, I have an idea slash request. I think we should rent the helicopter for two hours tomorrow morning and fly line of sight and search. But also I'm hitting the edge of where I can send people. And after what I saw this morning, I can't keep sending people out there further and further. So I want to take Javier and Troy up in the helicopter so they can see where we need to go. And so we can start to look at pick out and insert points for keeping our people safe to see if we can reasonably ask people to go out here. Uh, and see maybe if it's more reasonable to put people out there with the helicopter or something like that. But more importantly, Troy and Javier are the ones we're asking to go out deep this weekend. And I need them to see, I need Troy to stop telling me that Opana Gulch is as far as it'll go. Mm -hmm. I need Javier. He's an airborne ranger to get in a helicopter and get his juice flowing again and to see what we're going to go get into. And that was what it was. You know, I called Javier. I'm like, Hey, you want to go get in a helicopter? He's like, I got to work tomorrow. 
And then he calls me back like 30 seconds later. He's like, so what time are we going? <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. Like he uh, hung up, had enough time to think about it. Called me back. I was like, so where are we going and what are we doing? And did you call Troy yet? Yeah. I was like, well, no. all, this, all this time, you know that there's somebody out there and you know it. You just, I, I'm sure you felt it and you did not want them at all. You don't want to leave this whole thing. But, if I'm being honest, yeah. I, I never no. felt like she was out there no. or not out there. I never let that into my head at all. No. I had no personal attachment to Amanda. Hmm. I had been spending a lot of time with her family. And so it became a very personal feeling. It, it, right. it got emotionally attached, but objectively people are like, Oh, how'd you know she was alive? And you must've known she was alive to stay with it. I'm like, I, that never entered my head once. Yeah. We still had areas to search. I knew that we hadn't searched them yet. And until the family tells me that they're not supportive of us searching, yep. I'm not stopping because I don't have children, but I couldn't imagine being a parent and feeling like not everything had been done mm -hmm, and, and then you never find your child. Yeah, that, right. like, that, was, that, uh, that was the driving was force it. for me. I, you know, everybody's asked me, how'd you know she was alive? It never once occurred to me that she was dead or alive. You know, I knew that we were looking for both. That was a very real part of every conversation we had after day four. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I wasn't cold to that, but that was very objective of, of our whole situation. And I had a job to do. Uh, so, you know, there were times when it got emotional for me, the times when it started to feel very attached. And mostly that's when I was sharing those moments with the group. It was these people that I've seen out there every day right. who are feeling this emptiness of like, we're going to keep going, but what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah, You know, and we're only here because you keep asking us to come here and you keep giving us something to do. And I see the father and the mother and the sister and the brother here and her best friend and, and, and everybody. Yeah, yeah. The whole support crew that was right. there that made it impossible for people like, what are you going to do? Sit on a fucking beach while this is going on. Yeah. Exactly. That's ridiculous. I couldn't even go to work. That's why none of us paid. took yeah. a day off. Yeah. And that's, when Elena showed back up in the tent from her, she was supposed to be gone for another like day or two on the Kauai trip. I thought I was freaking out because I looked over and I was like, that looks just like Elena. Oh my God, Elena's back. <laughs> Thank God. Like it was huge yeah, for you me. You can't even enjoy a vacation. I can imagine yeah. after that much time up there and not finding and searching and not finding finding that it, it's got to get to a point where you say exactly what you just said. Why are you up there? Yeah. Yeah. Why are you doing it? So that was a reconnaissance mission on Friday. You were, you yeah. were just basically up there. All the, all you were to do is to scope it out to try to figure out if there's some other areas that we you had can. Two, two major goals. We knew that going up that we were going to check out the areas and then we were going to push the linear features out as far as we reasonably could. Like we wanted to push that road. We had on our terrain analysis map, they had marked the road and a couple of trails that went way out. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, well, this is our chance to check it, mm -hmm. you know, cause we can't get vehicles there. There's too many gates on the road that we can't get keys to. Right. Uh, there's too many trails that just kind of go out there. The flumes go way out there. I didn't realize until we had flown the end of pump house road. I was like, fuck dude, I didn't realize that that's where fire had gone. They went yeah. all the way down. That's huge. Yeah. Um, so we knew that a big part of it, a huge part of it was to, excuse me, check out the areas. But the reason I asked for two hours, which is the max of the flight time and the, kind of the, the selling point for John was to be like, Hey, and also we're going to be using line of sight searching to look for Amanda and his linear future spots. Because after talking to the guys on the West coast, they're very, uh, um, forward thinking of how far someone can hoof it. It's not about the unreasonable places they would be in a radius based on their body type and an activity type. It's the reality of the fact that folks hoof it. Yeah. You know, when right. they're lost and convinced they're going in the wrong direction, they hoof it. Um, and, and the same with runners. I think there's That's been exactly articles, right. but there probably wasn't any way to run it. And well, she couldn't. Well, she anyway. wasn't running. Right. You know, right. She was, but she was moving. She was moving on the move. Yep. Right. Uh, and, and regardless of, of her thought pattern or her 
decision-making paradigm of why she went left, right, straight, or back is that she kept moving forward on some level. Right. And we had, we, you know, the whole time we're in the helicopter, you know, the, the catchphrase was reasonably unreasonable search parameters. Yeah. Right. So you know, everybody kept saying like, she wouldn't be out here like, right. fuck it. But, but she could, yeah. well, would she No. would it make any sense? No. Would you have turned left towards the ocean a long time ago? Yeah, of course. But could she be here? Yeah. And that's the kind of what kept us going. That was the conversation for those two hours of us searching out there that kept us pushing a little bit further forward. Uh, and, and that kept, I wouldn't say a positive note because none of us really had, it was very uh, flat tone through the helicopter that mm -hmm. day. You know, it was very matter of fact, everything no was doubt. getting to that level where it's like, we're doing this, we're going to do it right. Let's do it once. Let's do it right. And let's get this shit done. And that was but, on Friday, the 24th, the 24th, 24th. And yeah. uh, you were doing one last pass around and a miracle happened. That's right. Yeah. So, let her rip. Tell me about that. Well, shit. Uh, <laughs> just like you were saying, so we're on, we're on the helicopter and we had the, this little reconnaissance plan pretty much planned out, but we're going out trying to check out everything. Anytime we saw uh, a weird waterfall, a weird stream, Hey, loop back around, man. Let's go back over there. Let's loop back around. Let's go back over there. Pete took us way past the search perimeter, you know, and at the end, it's like, okay, guys, let's double on back. Let's go back to Twin Falls. Let's do exactly. We're what out we're to Troy's doing. hunting grounds. Yeah, we're we're out like where Troy exactly. was like, man, nobody would be out here. Exactly. It's like, there's no nobody. Kidding. It's like, well, let's go up. Let's do exactly what we're talking about. So boom, we start going up his pasture and start going up and keep going up. And you can see the trail, well, trail. You can see, you can see a hunter's path and it's yeah. very thick and very, very straight up. Yeah. And as Troy would say it, we'd found, we found her three and a half hours in from his start. So that's, yeah. it's a long way from that is. Yeah, we, we hit a, a way back point in the valley. And, and do you remember the name of the valley? No, it was huge waterfall, nothing around, even from the helicopter perspective, you're looking around, you see nothing but this giant valley and a little stream going down that. So we start to follow that stream mm -hmm. all the way back out towards the coast. And, and we're talking and, and nobody's looking into the helicopter the whole time, the whole time, everybody, Pete's looking forward and flying. And the three of us all have our headsets in and everyone's leaned against their seatbelt, you know, leaning out. Right. And, and we all have our mics and we're talking as much as we need to. And most of that conversation is left or right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so on the way out, we're talking a little bit, then we hit the highway and we start cutting up the highway and Pete calls us on fuel. He's like, we got about 30 minutes left, 25 minutes left. And we turn in at Commando Trail at the Bamboo Forest area there. And Pete starts talking about rescues that he's done there in the past. He's like, right. I've, yeah. I've picked five people out of there. People go into that strainer over there and it flashes and I pick them out. You guys remember the naked rescue that happened right <laughs> over here? You know, that was a few years ago. And, and then he's, he, we hit a point point. he's like, this is the last place I've ever seen a tourist. This is as high as I've ever seen anybody. And we keep going up. And at this point it's kind of quiet in the bird. And at every intersection we're asking, it's, it, Pete's always like left or right. And everybody kind of grumbles like, uh, oh, left, you know, okay, right, right. Yeah. And on this one, we come up to a V and I had just asked Pete to go a little bit lower and a little bit slower because things were opening up and getting darker mm -hmm. down there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so it was apparent, you know, we, we knew that we could get a little lower and if we asked him to, Pete will get, you know, within a breath of trees and stuff like that. It's right. pretty creepy when you go in hindsight yeah. and think scary. about it. Um, and so Javier and I's doors are facing upstream. Right. And, and Pete's flying and, and Pete and Troy are on the downstream side and he's kind of side slipping us up the stream. And he had just asked us left or right. We all say, right. And everyone for their own reason, you know, it was a uh, uh, group decision. Everybody says, right. And we're going up and, and you know, we're kind of side slipping and no one's really talking. And there's this waterfall up ahead. 
and this bend in the stream. And right as we come around the bend, you see her down there doing no. this. Unbelievable, dude. And, and Kidding. so you know, my, my mic is activated by a foot pedal. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I stepped on it hard enough to shift the bird. And it was a combination of that and Javi jolting out the side. He would have jumped out of the helicopter. Yeah. That's yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible, dude. Yeah. And so right as I'm screaming, we found her, we fucking found her, we fucking found her. And Javi's like hitting me in the back of the headrest and like shaking everything. And everybody can, you know, talking to her now. Pete's like, you guys got to shut up. I can, I got to talk on the radio. Everybody's got to shut up. You know, and so we're all off comms and we're all pounding and beating and we're all yeah. waving at her. And then. Uh, Pete goes over to the left bank and drops us off, kind of gives us a really brief plan. He's like, all right, I'm going to drop you guys off. You guys are going to try to get down to her. I've called air one air. One's going to come in Did you get roped down. Nope. And so okay. he hovers on the ground and we're about two feet off the ground. We all hop off. We start trucking into the brush. It's like waist deep, chest deep, kind of pig trail-y, pig path, you know, path. Yeah. And the edge of the gulch is right there. I dropped the radio that DLNR gave me Oops. and it was ah. a really expensive radio. And so I turned around and I look back and then I turn back around and Javi and Troy have taken off into the front and they're going. And by the time I catch up to them, Pete is in the helicopter coming back towards us, hitting his horn like burp, 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 and waving at us, telling us to come back because we can't make it that way. And we all run back to the bird and everybody piles in. And so as he's flying over, you see a headset dangling like 15 feet below the helicopter because Troy forgot to stow uh, his headset. We're all so excited. Yeah. And so as soon as we saw it her, all, be. all professionalism went right out the window. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've all been very, very stoic and very professional for this entire thing. And as yeah. soon as we recognize and realize that we've got it, we're all crying and we're screaming and we're laughing and we're all talking a bunch of shit. Like we're going to jump out and Pete's think that we're being serious. And Pete's like, no one can jump out out of the helicopter. We're like, well, obviously no one's jumping out of the helicopter, but Javi really might. He was the reasonable person in this yeah. whole thing at that time. You know, and he's but, from Iowa too. Is he? Okay. Pizza father too, you know, and you can see like it's, it's hitting everybody really hard because everyone's invested in this one oh, at this gosh, point. Oh gosh, yeah. And so he picks us back up and he's bringing us back over to the other side of the gulch. And as he's bringing us over, he's briefing us. He's letting us know the air one's coming in and they're going to pick her up. And then he's also letting us know that he has no fuel left. And unless he wants to land in a field that we need to get out as soon as he gets over to the other side. And so he's like, everybody hang your shit up and buckle your seatbelts, please. And so we all get to the other side. Um, he's hovering over tall grass. We thought we were like at the grass level and it turns out the grass is about this tall and he was hovering above it. So everybody else hops out. I go to step out. I missed the skid entirely. Mm. And I kind of face plant off the back and Javi mm -hmm. kind of armpits me and pulls me off. And Pete said in hindsight, he's like, it looked like one of those cartoons where somebody just like, <laughs> uh, and so he takes off we're trucking through the trail it's like you know a little bit of a pig trail pig path and, and troy knows the area up there and it's needed need a waist deep of mud and muck and crap and the, the grass is really tall so javi will truck forward and he'll lay down and then we'll kind of walk over the taka walk over javi and then kind of move hopping. through that yeah yep until we got to the trail and then what are we talking time wise here as far seconds. as seconds <laughs> so i would say from the time that he dropped us off initially to the time that we were off the helicopter on the other side maybe four minutes okay um, okay and then from the time that we buckled our seat belts 
and we're trucking, right. you know, and he had let under a minute Yeah, and we're all moving so fast. And we're also all telling each other to slow down. You know, every couple of steps we're like, and just slow down. And Javi's out in front. Right. And so Javi yeah. disappears down to the left and he's going. And the whole time he's trying to call John Eller. And I'm like, you can't call John yet until we tell, he's like, I got to call John. I got to tell him. I'm like, I have to call. <laughs> you know, he's like, got his phone in his hand like he does right now. And he's like, I got to call John. I'm like, dude, you can't call him until we see like, till we're with her. 100% right? sure. Yeah. And he's like, all right, Fuck it. And that's when he goes to his live thing and starts doing his recording yeah. instead. And so we're, we're trucking through the grass and Javi goes down to the left and then Troy's like, don't go that way. And Javi comes back up and now Troy's out in front. And so we're all moving pretty fast. And then Troy breaks off to the left and we're like, fuck dude, Troy, don't go that way. You're old. And Troy pokes his head back up and Troy's <laughs> like, it goes, it goes. And so uh, Javi comes blasting past and we're all moving down the hill and Troy gets a little hung up and Javi ends out in front and he's like, Amanda, Amanda. And he's still got his phone in his hand, right? <laughs> And, uh, I've called, finally, you yeah, saying. finally you, you hear her call back and I'm like, okay, call John. He's like, I already did. Yeah. Right. And so wow. eventually he, you know, Javi's like, Amanda, do you recognize my voice? And she's like, Javi. And at that <laughs> point he like yeah. slides down, like belly slides down, gets up to her, already has John on the phone, gets up to Amanda. And then, you know, Troy and I come out after the fact and, and they're, ha they know each other, right? Troy and I have never met right. Amanda. Right. So they're having this big, strong interaction and we're just kind of sitting, Troy's doing the fatherly, like check and make sure she's okay right. and i'm just that creepy guy with a beard who popped out of the brush sitting next to her with a camera <laughs> there you, go. Um, you know so it, it was really powerful at that point and so that whole expedition probably took three minutes five minutes okay. maybe and then was it the same helicopter that air, took her out no. or was it another one that came no, in because he didn't so, have enough fuel right yeah, so and, the, the same team yep same team right okay pilot. yeah Got air it. one came in which is the fire helicopter yeah uh, the yellow one and they had a basket which wasn't like a stokes litter it was like this big round hammock right and so there's just this happy hawaiian guy hanging out in the basket he's not clipped into anything he just rolls down there and amanda hops in with him and gives us the thumbs up and he you know they fly out and then troy and, and javi and i finally get a moment to like to let it all sink in right we're freaking yeah. out we're rolling in the stream and we're laughing and crying and then we all get our basket ride out as well and we're all like oh you go first no 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 you go first like i want to be the last one out i'm yeah. glad they <laughs> Glad they remembered to pick you up, by the way. Yeah, no, no, that was really cool. And so we had, you know, we had found her. We knew that she was okay. And so we got to enjoy that. It was a beautiful ride out of there. It was a really unique, you know, yeah. riding out in the basket was, was really awesome. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's my, and then we all got out and called our parents. We all got out and called our mothers and we're all crying as we got out. I'm like, uh, Mom, we found her. As you should. That's it from my eyes. You should hear from, was, from hobbies. Yeah. I got it. I got to hear your end too. Because I want to find out how you found her. Everybody out. saw it so differently. We, we, we all saw it through our own lens. So yeah. you, know, it's, oh. you got to hear all sides of it. I mean, my lens is exactly as he was saying. And when I looked down, she materialized out of the woods, you know, shaking her arms. I've told John the day before. This is the area too, right? I got a couple. That is a similar, that is the area. Yes. That is the area. Yes. Okay. Um, I told John the night before, I was like, wouldn't it be something, man, if you just see her with her freaking arms waving, you know, and the whole. And the you whole, said that before you found. I, saw, I said that to her, to him the night before, because we had talked oh about gosh. hiring this helicopter. And I was like, wouldn't it be some shit if we just see her waving her arms? And I remember right. him looking at me all stoic, like, yeah, it'd be something, you know. Yeah. Um, seeing her materialize out of the woods was uh, pure elation, man. Yeah, pure elation. 
I mean, I immediately saw her and assessed her head head to toe. You know, I could see that she was all sunburned, bruised up and cut up and her yeah. ankles are destroyed. And first thing I was like, she's barefoot. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. And I just remember my mind exploding. Man, I was screaming like yeah. louder than a rotor wash. <laughs> and exactly what he said, we had dumped off. And I remember I had to go to the bathroom. I had to pee really, really bad. <laughs> so I had to pee and I was laughing about it. And then he got picked up and dropped off on the other side. And yeah, I mean, I was like the entire helicopter ride. He He's right. It was a very calm ride. I remember being angry that I knew she was out there and I was literally running through a phone conversation in a scenario of me calling John. I was like, I know right. exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to say I fucking found her. And I was like literally in my head through that. Yeah. And finally I was like, I can't help it. I've got to call John. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just tell her that we are fucking found her man yeah you know, not only my friend but you know i'm a father as well right uh, th- you know uh, that's very important from my story when we first started i remember coming back down on my first search and feeling that and being like dude if this was my kid and this was the search that was going on right i'd be losing my mind absolutely i'm taking over this whole absolutely. fucking thing if i have to right exactly you know, feel right and yeah, and then I have a very unusual voice. <laughs> so as I'm running down to very powerful, very voice. powerful voice <laughs> and Amanda knows me, you know, yeah. And I remember screaming out to her, do you recognize this voice? And her calling my name out. I just, I, I, I try to move back to that moment because it's the greatest moment of my life. I mean, the, 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 the feeling that I can share, it's, it's hard to put into words that the elation, I try to meditate on this feeling. And then I remember we got in contact with John and I remember making some phone calls. I don't know if I actually texted or called Elena. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I, I think I called my wife for like a split second in between. I was just, I remember I made a Facebook post cause I was like, this has got, this has got to go out right now. The world has to know now, right now. You know, and me sending my the world found out immediately, quickly, quickly, like not just Hawaii, the whole entire earth. And I was just in pure relation and had to share the elation with the world and every, you know, as in the moment of it, you know, not even thinking about any of it in reality until it all just starts happening. And that just lasting for a very long time. Did it seem like a dream? Oh. When you saw her waving and you got down there, did it seem like a dream? I don't even know how to answer that. Yeah, it, it was such a spacey yeah. feeling. There was a definitely a, the first probably real feeling of awe in my life. First yeah. time I've actually felt like, whoa. Yeah, it was. It was because beautiful. we turned, right? We saw her, we acknowledged, we found her, and then we banked away and left for a second yeah. and we had that eight seconds to 20 seconds it to, was really, really her? To, to let yeah. it sink Take and you're like fuck dude hell? like we just like we, we found, found her. her after all of that after all of that we fucking found her that was really crazy so like a dream i don't know my dreams are usually weirder than that um <laughs> yeah but uh, a dreamy state yeah, I don't know. It was it was definitely almost an out of body experience. Well, you knew her, but trip. you didn't know her, so no. you just seen pictures and all that, and all of a sudden you see this moving yeah. person that you've been looking for for sixteen it was days. Just, and that was the feeling. It was this culmination of all the energy that we had put into it, and the realization that we might have actually. And I I didn't even let the reason I didn't want him to call John is I hadn't even let it into my head a thousand percent that it was her. Like I I was like I knew it was her because of what we had seen right. until I talked to her. 
I can't know that it was her. That it was her. And so, you know, there was that whole overwhelming feeling. We're all crying. We're all screaming. It's very out of body. And then we have to hop out of the helicopter and we're all talking like, there's a good place to land. There's a good place to land. Like, we need to go back and get gear. Did anybody bring any water? No. Okay. So, you know, like, what are we going to do? And then we're all jumping and we're all running and we're all falling and we're tripping and we're screaming and we're sliding. So... I don't know that it ever had a chance to feel like a real dream. Like, yeah. and, and then for the whole ride back after we let her go with EMS and we're riding back, we're all still just like, fuck, like, yeah. Hey, what do we do now? You know, because there's a lot of energy moving forward right now. So do we go to the hospital? Do we go back to camp? Do we call the family? Like, Cause everybody knows that needs to know. We just have to sit there in this helicopter for the next 10 minutes. Like, let's get fucking going. And also that overall, like we all just keep looking at each other. Like, yeah. Is this real life? <laughs> Is it real life? Where were you when, uh, how'd you find out? Yeah, I was at base camp. Um, so that was a day that I had done a big grid church and, uh, on the Haleakala ranch property, which was tough. It's full of thorns. It's full of raspberries. It's full of just a bunch of stuff. You don't want to be around where someone's already searched that area, but 40 of us went in there together had a good time, came back with a lot of blood yeah. on our pants, stuff like that. Nice. So I'm hanging out in the parking lot for like maybe 30 minutes after being back. Um, and someone walks over and is like, hey, John's on the phone over there with the boys. They found Amanda. You got to go. So we walk across the parking lot and John's there. Chris is there. Alicia's there uh, crying, tears, lots of confusion. You know, they're on the phone with her. I can't hear you. What are you saying? Are you sure it's her? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Let me talk to her. Now let me talk to her. And everyone's excited. And Paul, uh, Paul Anker is there from Maui Alert live streaming the whole thing. You know? uh, so it kind of ends up being perfect because he's someone who was there with us from the beginning and he was following the story pretty closely. Right. Um, so Chris texts me, we got her. And then that's the moment. It's like, okay, this is my confirmation for sure. So um, we called Julia and Katie, who's Amanda's best friend. They had just gone out on a big, you know, hike, rappel mission, actually. So I'm like yelling, somebody call Katie, somebody call Julia, get them back. Um and that was kind of the moment that it became real to me. So they come back and Javier had sent me the photo, the famous photo, the one that's on the front page of the news the next day, right. so holding it really close to my chest because all the news news people are there and they want to see it and they want to see it. And I'm just kind of pulling. I was on your phone. Yeah. He, he had texted taken it over to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, so I'm kind of finding family members as I can. Like, come, you have to look. And the cameras are kind of, you know, huddling around and just to see their face when they see the photo, just these like tears of happiness and Katie, especially every time before that, I had a hard time being around her. She was so uh, like dedicated and she's badass. She can hike, you know, yeah. than anyone here. But every time I looked at her, just her face made me cry. She just had so much determination, but she was upset. She, her friend was missing and she couldn't help. And exactly. so to see relief in someone who had not shown that before was really, really cool. Wow. Wow. Can I ask you, uh, nobody's ever really said, I mean, uh, she said, Javi, is that you? But what were the first words that came out of her mouth when you actually sat there or wasn't there any? I think she said something to her guys like you guys found me or, or something like Finally. that. Like something like you guys found what me. What took you so long? What took you so I mean, it wasn't what took you so long, no. but it was like you guys found, oh my God, you guys are you found me, you know, and I, I remember me talking to her and I, or us sitting there. I, she, I was like, I've been searching for you every freaking day. The whole, <laughs> you know, I was kind of giving her an immediate update. The whole world's been looking for you. This is all over the national news. You know, I was like, I've been freaking repelling down waterfalls for you. And she's like, I had a vision 
of you rappelling up a waterfall because I took her rappelling one time, you know, and we really didn't We put her on the phone and she was talking to her parents. And I remember just being on my phone, calling whoever it yeah. was that I had to let know immediately. And it wasn't until like the party that we actually got to speak. Got no, to no, speak we, we, saw her, we saw her that e- I saw her that evening because I went to the hospital. That's right. And just right. Talked to her for a minute. Yeah. I remember pointing at my phone when I first sat down. We started laughing and I was like this. I just pointed at my phone like this would have yeah. avoided everything. And she's like, oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, God darn it. So, um, the, the, uh, th- did you know when you were up there, uh, how much chatter was going on? No. You, no. Did you isolate yourself from that and not, did you even look I at did. any of that crap? I looked, I, I let myself read three Facebook comments a night. I think I read five one night. Yeah. Uh, and that was only in week two. Initially I had no energy for it and it wasn't relevant to me. And I, people were actually giving me shit because I hadn't put anything on my Facebook feed about the Amanda search. Yeah. And I just hadn't looked, I, I hadn't logged on to it since we started that first day. Um, I, I was pretty active on Facebook. Yeah, Javi had a lot had a lot going on. I was super unplugged. Yeah, yeah. I, I was very active on Facebook. Okay, whether it was promoting the entire search. I mean, I was on the radio. I got with uh, P. Sebastian on ninety seven point three. I was trying to combat any negative press in every way possible, mm-hmm. even if it was just with positivity. I was trying to bring the freaking Calvary every single evening because I was giving updates. I was trying every single night to give updates of what's happening or what I did, even if it was just my side of the story to keep, you know, the interest going. Right. And have more and more shares and more and more friends follow me and all that stuff. You know. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. And I not the negative part of it. Oh, oh, yeah. I, you know, even myself, you know, this island has gone through a couple women, uh, Charlie Scott, mm-hmm. and we went and lived through that whole friggin trial um and you know i found out how she went and then the, the other woman uh mo yeah. uh, Ma- monsalve um you know she's never been found so down here in the general public everybody had their theories and and everybody assumed the worst that she was abducted and she was gone and there's no way that she could go up there and and be lost she had to have been abducted Mm -hmm. um leaving her phone everything was there and you know they had the theory about her boyfriend they had theories about theories about theories and um it diluted your brain when you were watching the efforts that you were doing down here because you got sucked into that and it's, and it was really bad. And I, I got sucked into it too. I thought the worst, you know, cause each, as each day went yeah. and you kept going day after day after day. And I was really surprised. I never saw one report from any of you where you said, yeah, you know, maybe she was abducted. Maybe we shouldn't even be up here. You, you were there every single day going forward. We know now that there were some points in there that you, you know, said, screw it, man. What are we doing this for? But you never gave up. Yeah, for sure. So my comment is, and, and this is mine, and, and, and I'd like to hear your opinions, too. I've really evaluated this whole thing. And, um, you know, I feel, first of all, of course, Amanda was wrong not taking her phone or taking doing a little bit more, you know, preparation before she went up there. I don't care. I believe that when she did her press conference that she said she's never really gone on that trail, the Hunter's Trail before. And Mm -hmm. most people go up to the Loop Trail, which is 
marked all over the place. That's why I went up there and I wanted to run, uh, you know, run the trail up there just to kind of see what I, how I felt. Um, and I feel really sad for, for the hits that she has taken and still is taking on the internet. I believe that the story is she went out and she got lost and she was nobody's going to go and beat up their body for 17 days the way that she beat up her body i'm sure even though we saw a press conference and all that she had to have been scared to death out there you know sleeping with you know in boar caves and trying to figure out a way to survive and if anybody was ever going to find her and i feel really sad about the maui community right now um on some of the posts that some of these people are putting on facebook now it's rude it's crude it's heartless and there's no aloha spirit in there so i truly believe she got lost i believe she got lost because she just got lost it happens we all make mistakes yeah she didn't have her phone so don't go pointing your finger at somebody else because you made mistakes too in your life That's exactly right. also um so i just wanted to let that out there and thank god for you all that just kept going and going and going in this and uh, never given up and never given in and i know and i'm gonna put it in the show notes the the letter that the eller family put out there mm-hmm. you have it in mm-hmm. front of you it it really lays out and and this takes out all those rumors that people are saying. How do you feel about all that? I'm with you, man. You know, at at the end of it all, it was very, it was very sad. It was very disheartening. And it's uh, it's pretty much a, a good realization of what you can actually see what's happening in society, right? We had pretty much the best news story you can possibly imagine. And because it didn't end badly, People fucking hate right. that. Right, exactly. Okay, if she would have ended up dead, ooh, man, it would have been a huge vigil. And oh, yeah. Things would have been great, and there would have been no yeah. negative press regarding it whatsoever. But because she came out of it alive, because it actually came out to be such a beautiful ending to it, people couldn't handle it. Yeah. They physically, they mentally couldn't handle it. But we do live in a world where people believe that the earth is flat. So there are right. many, you know, far-reaching spectrum people out there. But now they have a voice in social media, you know. Armchair quarterbacks had no idea. They weren't there. They didn't understand. That, they had no clue. That and the particular location that we're in, Hawaii, and its history, and the history with how everything is here in regards to private property, in regards to hiking community, in regards to everything else, all tied together, you know. Um, you could actually see a great parallel in what happened with Kakai, where it was a different feeling yes, it altogether. Was. It just because of the circumstances and the, right. situ- and the situation and the outcome. Um, and, and may the, he rest in peace. And I'm such a positive person that I, I try to lean more on the the premise of I'm so impressed of the community that came together oh, yeah. and showed love and showed support and because you're always going to see those far right. Right, if not necessarily far right, but the extremist mentality. I mean, you hear some of the theories on Facebook that you're like, "What? What planet are you living on?" And right. that, is that your? Is that your everyday normalcy? That your conspiracy theorists to the end, where you think this was a giant plot to yeah. raise forty grand or something like that? Like, yeah. what planet are you living on? Exactly. Do you think that this is some giant conspiracy against the Hawaiian people or anything, and other than it was somebody that got lost. 
people never gave up and found her because that's what the story is. That's the story. That's the story. It's as simple There's as that. story. And we, right. Kakai Mina's story was the same thing. Right. Man got lost. People went searching for him and he was recovered. Yeah. Bam. That's what search and rescue is about. So all the hypotheticals, I promise you that all of us experienced it. I yeah. thought of every dark subject and every possible scenario, but there is no other evidence pointing to any, any other way. Yeah. You know, no. why she got lost. I, I don't care. Exactly. I don't care why she got lost. My friend's lost out there. I don't care what if my brother got lost. Hey, man, uh, your brother was drunk and he got lost out there. Like, okay, well, I guess I got to go find his drunk ass. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not going to like not search for him because he's not. Exactly. It doesn't doesn't matter. You're right. Why? She was lost. You know, when 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 somebody that's mentally ill goes missing, nobody pauses and says, hey, we're not going to search for him because he's mentally ill or we're going to, you know, put an undue burden on his family because we shouldn't be searching for him. And that was what was disheartening about it all where it was a lot of really big conspiracy theorists attacking the family during the process. And it was really hurtful, you know, especially for the ones that were searching, putting their heart and soul into it, you know, reading that, seeing that, wanting to respond, but not even, you know, can't, can't do it. And, and you know what, it, it, there's so many good comments out there, but, Absolutely. Yeah. but it, it, it's still floating around. I, I talked to people in the last couple of days that, you know, said things and I just looked at them and I said, you weren't there, man. Yeah, well, what, yeah. what, what are you, where are you getting this from? Exactly. How'd you feel? Um, so I learned I, a couple two two things that I thought the whole time. First thing is it doesn't matter where she is or how she got there. Her life matters. Right. To me. I don't care if it's her fault or somebody. Should be to anybody. Her. Right. At the end of the day, her life matters. Her family want to find her. They've asked us to help. That's all that matters to me. Number two, I think it's pretty cool that we pulled off a story so perfect that nobody could believe it. Right. And I've said that a couple of times and I really think that that's true. It's. Some of these things seem convenient, fair. You know, sometimes miracles happen and that's, we got lucky. Um, but also I've learned that forming an opinion based on assumptions and incomplete facts when you don't have full, full information can make you look very foolish. Yes. I feel like I'm glad that I'm on the right side of the story. I'm glad that I got to experience it firsthand and be able to believe it a lot easier. Maybe if I was on the outside, I wouldn't have believed it. Um, but next time when I hear a story like this and I wasn't part of it, I'm going to be a lot less likely to make assumptions based on incomplete facts. Because at the end right. of the day, you really just made yourself look foolish. Right. And you just cave into whatever the you know social media yeah. world is like. Chris, how about yourself? Uh, so you like, have a flip phone, so you don't even know what anything is with social media. <laughs> That's right. Um, and so, like I said, I stayed pretty unplugged from it uh, throughout the duration of the search. I let myself read a handful of comments every night. And actually, the the second night that I let myself read Facebook comments, one of them, the, the second one that I read was that Ben and I were working together and she was obviously at my house uh, because I was leading the searchers in a, in a useless direction. And that was the day after I had gotten a call from a private investigator in Mexico that let me know I was wasting everyone's time. Um, so I didn't feel super attacked by it initially. After the search, I started going through and reading all the comments and then I was blown away and then I was angry and then I was just disheartened. And now people still come up to me with some pretty bogus stuff and, and it's just disheartening. It, it feels disrespectful to everyone that was out there when people say things like that at this point. Uh, during the search, I probably would have just felt 
uh, more of a disappointment and an anger to it. But now that we accomplished so much and the community did so much, it, it feels like people are spinning on those people who gave up so much blindly and right. lovingly uh, to come up with these things. And a lot of them are super bogus. So like Javi said, some of them you look at and you're like, oh, what? how does that even make sense to you? Some of them seem reasonable if you're sitting from a certain position. But again, that position is of not uh, is a position of not having helped. So when you're this person who's just, you know, acting from the armchair and not giving in or coming from the side of it that, well, it's just because she's a, a pretty white girl, you know, that got lost exactly. you know, and, and that changes the whole dynamic. The reality of that is, is that there were locals out there looking for, her, there were tourists out there looking for, her, there were folks who had just moved here looking for, her, folks flew in looking for, her. that didn't matter. Um, you know, and, and if there was community, if there was another person lost in the community at this point, I feel like we would step up all over again. And, and as long as the support was given, it, it wouldn't matter who that was. A big part of it was how involved the family was. Yeah. You know, people are kind of spiting them mm -hmm. for stepping up to the plate and being yeah. resourceful. Like people are shitting all over everyone for the resources we came out with, the exactly. resources that came about it. Nobody offered those resources to us. We went out there and asked for them. Yeah. And that was no miracle. That was no money backing that. It's not because anybody had any money. It's because we asked. And then because they were resourceful enough to start a GoFundMe, which is a public use account that anyone can do. For something like you know? this. This is exactly right. what it's there the for. The Mina family did the same thing and no yeah. one's given them any shit for it. No. Yeah. And they continued to raise money. Yeah. As yeah. they should. It's yeah. a support system for that, them. And that's exactly. what it's for. And so, it, it, you know, that's really frustrating. And it gives people a lot of traction for those comments. You know, all of the comments that are something to the effect of why didn't she just go downhill or it's an island and how could you get lost there? Like up is the mountain down is the, any one of those people have never walked through those woods, right. you know, and, and all the people that came to us to be on the search and be like, I've been hiking here for 20 years. I know these trails. I'm like, that's great. I need you to go off trail and check these areas yeah. when they come back to like, fuck dude, if I didn't have a GPS, I never would have made it back. Right. Absolutely. You know? And so there's the reality that people are just disconnected from. Uh, and that's where you just have to, those are the ones you just roll your eyes at. It's like, you know, you don't see the picture, whatever. I can't make you see the picture without going in the woods. And that's probably not going to happen. So I don't give it any credence. The ones who are starting this big movement of, of hating on the family for the way they resolved it, or for feeling like Amanda should pay for her rescue or something like that, because they have the money. Uh, and that's bullshit to me. Like the, the community didn't respond because of money. The community responded because somebody here was lost, right. you know, like she was in our backyard or she was somebody that we knew, or she was, you know, people are, she's a daughter. She's a sister. She's, you know, all of these things that people could relate to. And we managed to create this big movement out of it. Uh, and, and that's where people are drawing all this negativity from. It was really easy for folks to be negative about it during the search because there was a 50, 50 shot that she had been abducted for a lot of yeah. folks. And for a lot of folks, it was hundred percent. Right. And so it look, we look like a bunch of fools out there to those people because obviously she's not there, right? Everything is too perfect and she's not there. Mm -hmm. So it was really easy to have a lot of negativity going during that. Sure. Whatever. After the fact though, that's where it gets to be kind of disappointing. Exactly. Uh, and, and like Elena said, it, it's almost because the story turned out too well. Yeah. And, and like yeah. Javi said, if it had had disaster, people would probably hold their tongues. But all of those people who were talking shit about her being abducted or talking badly about Ben and all that. I don't see them apologizing. No. Yeah. You know, none of them are going out of their way to correct their statement. And, and those people have just shifted their argument. Now they're, well, they're still doing hit jobs right. out there. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, uh, thankfully I'm fairly unplugged from a lot of that stuff. We do feel it. Um, and also I wasn't a huge public figure 
speaking for a lot of this. You know, a lot of people have a bigger target on their back for this kind of stuff than I do. Um, so I've managed to keep myself somewhat distant from it, but there, there's just a disappointing feeling with it, but you expect it these days. Social media kind of sucks for all that, yeah. you know, but like you said a minute ago, is there's so many good comments too. I would say for every one really terrible comment, there's 50, oh, yeah. you know, Easily supportive 50. comments right. of, of bless you guys for what everybody did. And, and we really appreciate it. And it gives everybody hope. Um, the people that I see in the community, not a single person has come up and said something bad to me. They've all, Never. They, some of them have had misinformation and it took a little bit of correct. Uh, but nobody's come up and been like, you guys suck, you know, or, or, or you know, you should never have found her. You probably like would kill them if they said that to you, well, especially Javi. At this point, you just roll it off. I've called people out throughout this whole thing. That's for damn sure. Yeah, you well, should. That's, and now we have credence to do that. You know, now it's like, look, man, obviously you got to check yourself because we, we found her. We did it right. You know, the community did it right. And if they had given up, we'd have a dead person out there right now. Guaranteed. She'd be dead. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was going to ask you that. We'd if, be if, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for three the miracle, max, she had, had a couple more days. Maybe yeah. three days. Yeah. You know? And no one can say for sure. She's a very resilient yeah. young woman. And, and yeah. she carried herself further than anyone expected to. Right. But just seeing how, how exposed she was and her dietary, you know, the caloric deficit that she was operating in. Uh, her, her, her legs were, were really the major, for me, it was her major. There was, it, there, was, there was an infection building up in her. Yeah, if yeah. that had become systemic, that would have been a real issue. She was cracked. She was already, she was in really bad shape. Yep. She had better s- survival skills than probably 90% of the people that oh, I know. I, would, I wouldn't totally. be. Almost yeah. instinctually, though. I mean, she doesn't oh. have a back, she doesn't have a history of Girl Scouts. She doesn't have family camping trips. She didn't take up camping in college, didn't join any outdoors clubs. You know, she's a smart girl who is physically aware and had a, a knowledge of herbology, as I understand, you know, so she understood the plant life out there. Yeah. Um, and, but under, understood how to take care of her body and her mind. And that was, that's a huge part of it. You know, luckily that's becoming more and more of a conversation in search and rescue and, and outdoor uh, education these days is, is emotional stress um, and uh, period stress of, of experiencing things, traumatic events and not dealing with them. And, and so the long-term uh you know, result of that can be something like PTSD. Right. Um, but it's a performance stress and it's a, it's an emotional stress. Uh, and those are things that we address more and more these days and become a better, uh, a larger dialogue. And she experienced a lot of that. And for her to be able to compartmentalize and move forward speaks very highly of her resilience and of, of her ability. And, and to think clearly day after day out there, I'm sure she had her moments, but still, <laughs> you know, it's, it's got to get tough every day. I wish her the very best, and and I hope that people treat her with respect out in public when they see her out and about, and and don't uh, talk behind her back and you know say nasty things to her because uh, she knows what happened out there. She that's her story. She was out there. She knows all that. Nobody else yeah. does. That's right. I hope people treat her the way that they did before she was found. Exactly. That could be my daughter. That could be my sister. You know, that could happen to anyone and they should treat her with respect the way that they did when they were worried about her. Right. 100%. Now, I know that this has changed each of your lives completely, this whole thing. So I'll just ask you uh, a couple questions and then we'll wrap this up. Javier, what's next for you? I don't know. How did it change your life and what's next for you? Are you, what are you going to do with, uh, what you learned from the search? Are you going to, you're going to kind of work on doing some stuff with that? I, or? I sure hope so, man. Um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, you know, as I like, I'm like, well, I'll write a book about it. You know, I'll just start typing things up. That's always just a life book thing in regards to search and rescue or, or, or this it, it's, 
it's changed my spirit and my soul quite a bit. Um, I've changed the way that I perceive life and people and how I take people in and how I look at people and their condition and how we don't, we always judge people from, from their surface. And I've changed a lot spiritually from this whole experience. Right. Um, when it comes to me moving forward, man, I, I don't know. I, I, I want to be doing something meaningful. I yeah. want to be helping change lives, maybe not rescuing lives, maybe changing lives, maybe preventing people from being lost, maybe doing public speaking, maybe being a face of, of, of the foundation or of something in this world that, that lends to the positive of the world because there's so much negative to it, you know, really from, from what we're talking about, right. from me seeing both sides of it. And especially with the Kakai thing as well, seeing exactly. the peak and seeing the trough of what yeah. this can be and seeing what the peak and the other peak of the community can be, you know, um, I, I just want to keep, I live a really beautiful, happy, positive life. And I want to be able to share that and share my passion and share my positivity in some way, shape or form. Um, and I'm trying to figure that out as we progress. Well, you have a, you, you have gone through an experience that could save other lives down the Absolutely. road. So to not do something, exactly. I think would be a shame exactly. at that point. Yeah. So I'm trying to put myself in that right spot, man. And I mean, this has been, I, I definitely feel like I was meant to be here. I'm destined to be here and all the experiences I, I've garnished and, and acquired through my whole life story is led me to be here. I mean, I feel like I've moved here just for this moment, you know. We became a national figure. Oh, I don't know about Couldn't that. Couldn't even turn on the friggin' TV without <laughs> for, seeing for you on there. Just you, for a moment. You did, yeah. Just I mean, 15 minutes of yeah. fame. Uh, but it definitely, I think we got 20. Yeah, 20. You got a hell of a lot it's more. It's solidified than 20. Maui. should have a lot more now. It's solidified Maui inside of me, that's for sure. And, and the magic of this place. And really, really, I mean, it really changed my, my inner being of looking at life and love and. And the impossibilities, which aren't impossible you right. know, and never giving up and always. And actually, for me, it was a huge reaffirmation of who I am, of my wild, hyper positive, motivated, just never give up self. I was like, you know what? It does pay off. It, I'm not just crazy. Yeah. Like I, I, it's 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 not it just in my head. It's not just like I'm just like, am I always happy and positive and shit? Is this really going to pay off? And it obviously did. Well, I think you, you, you know, with your tours and the stuff that you've seen in the military and everything that you've done, you have gained a, you know, a real confidence about yourself and enjoy life because you know what you've seen things that none of us have ever seen. It'll end. And now you're in Maui, and why? Why would you not be happy? And positive. <laughs> That's exactly right. And to you know, full circle back to the negative stories is I was just I'm always at all when people just disrespect another person on a social media platform yeah. Yeah. In, in any regard, really in any like really pointed, just disrespecting way. So I'm just not like that. It's, it's always, it always confounds me and, and I'm trying to change the world in a positive way. Shit. You know, if yeah. I have, if I have to, yeah. if I have to just be this hyper positive guy for the rest of my life and just, just motivate people around me to be more positive. Yeah, your lightning rod. You know, it's, it makes that, people feel good. Need. I think that's what we need in, in in this day and age in particular. Absolutely. I think we need more hope, more positivity, more positive role models per se. Right. You know, pu pushing a positive message. Elena, how about you? 
Um, First of all, I'm never going to rappel down anything. <laughs> Obviously, you have no problem with heights. Me, I would be a... No, you should come out and do rappel mountain. It's not that high. It's okay. 50 feet. And it's really feet. safe. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you get a I helmet will. and a life jacket. Do you? Great. Um, yeah. So this has changed my community at the very least. I have two new best friends, which is awesome. I have Amanda now as a friend. I have this whole group of people who are just kind of cosmically connected now in really weird ways. People who maybe I even only know them by their first name, but are like a cl really close friend of mine now. Um, it's opened up. And, you know, having a different, having a bigger community opens up more opportunities, especially when you live in such a small place like this. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of interested in search and rescue now, I guess, in some capacity. But like Javier said, we saw something really good and we saw something really bad. And I'm, for me personally, I'm glad that I got to see both and really think completely about that direction. Um, I met a lot of really cool people who work with MSAR, Maui Search and Rescue. I think I'm going to, you know, the next time they have an opening for volunteers for training, I'm going to come, you know? Yeah. That's something sure. I've thought about. Years before, like, oh, I know how to repel. Maybe that could help them. But now I know them. Now they're my friends. Most now, people didn't even know that, yeah. that they existed. Right. Or that they were helpful. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or how many, just speaking with them, how many different types of cases they work on and things. It's not always lost hikers and how more people could really help their organization. Um, and then for me, it's just kind of put me on a path of reconnecting with like old mentors of mine. Some right. people who I know through canyoneering communities, people who I wasn't that close with before. I was like, Hey, I really need your help. How can you help me? Oh my gosh. When you ask people to help, they help you. It's amazing. And it kind yeah. of like restores your faith in humanity on a lot of levels. Right. Are you going to uh, go for your law degree or is that? Hopefully never. No. Hopefully never. <laughs> I don't blame you. As long as I can, man. I don't blame you. Oh, good. Good. You're living life to the fullest. Yeah, exactly. Now, Chris, you, uh, when you were doing this whole thing, um, uh, I kept reading that they let you go whenever you were doing, but I'm sure you could really care less about that. But you got something coming up now. You're working with uh, John Eller and you, That's right. you're heading up the, um, the uh, search technology advisory team, um, which is a nonprofit funded by private donations and grants. And, uh, uh, you're heading it all up. So tell, tell me about, first of all, tell me how it's changed your life, but then tell me a little bit about this program, because I think people need to know that. Uh, well, it certainly changed my daily professional life. I spent a lot more time on a phone and a laptop than I used to. You gonna buy a new phone, or are you sticking no, with your man. flip? Come on, dude, okay. the flip phone all right. does it all. Just I have curious. a second phone. I just don't let people see it. Um, I have a work, I have a real, what phone. is it? The first version of the iPhone? Hey, come on, come it's an on. Android from Walmart. It is an Android from Walmart. Don't be mean. <laughs> How long ago did you buy it? Like a month. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. Um, and so yes, now I'm working with the foundation. Uh, I'm, I'm employed by insight mobile data, uh, which is the Ellers company. And so I'm helping them, uh, manage some of their projects. And one of those projects is STAT, uh, which is a search technology and tactics. Um, and we're still really learning what that's going to be. Uh, one thing we do know is that we're creating some software to make search management a little bit easier, um, just as we used uh, another software platform that they have operating on the West Coast. Uh, we're realizing that we can work with them on some levels and also that we have room to create some of our own things, which is something they excel at. Uh, and also uh, creating some new toys for uh, search. Search and rescue is a big feeling. And so John, the father, is very personally attached to that at the moment, oh, yeah. uh, as you can imagine. Yeah. 
And so it gives us a lot of momentum and we have a lot of good momentum with the world right now, with the nation, with the community uh, locally as well. And so we're just trying to use that voice that we have to keep some things moving forward uh, with a bit of an educational platform, with a technology platform, with a crisis management platform. Uh, some of the things I'm doing right now are taking a bunch of classes through FEMA uh, to better understand how to utilize pre-existing resources and kind of get on the national baseline of how things are done um, so that next time we're involved in something like this, uh, we have a better understanding of the national vocabulary for it. And that way, when we need mutual aid, we can provide mutual aid. And so uh, the other side of the coin right now is trying to get Hawaii's search and rescue practices brought up to a national standard. Um, and that's a ball that's just starting to get rolling. And the big picture of that is getting Kauai and Oahu and Maui all on the same page, uh, accredit accreditation wise and training wise, so that we have a baseline of mutual aid that we can offer from state to state when things like this happen without any hiccups or red tape. Um, and also a really big boost in the volunteer base of Maui search and rescue. And so directly after the search, I went over to California and met with the team that was helping us out on an advisory capacity and went to Marin County search and rescue and, uh, went to one of their meetings and, and had a little speech at one of their meetings and saw how they do things. And during that meeting, uh, they got a rescue call to go out to Mount McKinley and I got to see how their well-oiled machine oh, nice. uh, works. And then that evening they did a field exercise using their software. Uh, and we got to play with that a little bit. And so it really opened my eyes as to how, uh, maybe easily is not the right word, but how available it is for a volunteer community to have a very solid search and response unit. Uh, and Marin County, they don't just use their people for lost hikers. They use it for evidence searches, uh, missing children, you know, missing women. So we would have to go through a background check basis and a training platform. Um, you know, they're, they're tied up with the sheriff's department over there. So they don't have to be a three days later response team. They're the initial response team. Uh, and that would save us buckets out here. And, you know, we put 5,200 man hours into that search. Right. There's not a single or collection of agencies that could afford that uh, in right. the islands. And so not to take advantage of a volunteer base, it seems like a waste of a resource to me. And if they can be trained uh, to a national level, then they're not a, a liability and they're not a, a hindrance to the search. Um, and we can use them to make our county run more efficiently by saving them hundreds of man hours a year on search uh, and to get them equipped and brought up to the level. And it also makes the community stay uh, in tune with everything that just happened. We've had so many people come up to us and be like, hey, what, what's the next step? How do we do this? What, what's going on with search and rescue now? And there's a is real that just in Hawaii or is that everywhere? We're getting other places? calls from all over the place. Our, the focus is to help in Hawaii, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's home for us. Uh, that's where we, you know, you can't change the world, but you can change your community. Right. Exactly. Um, some people can change the world, but right now we can, we can certainly help change our community. And, and that's where we feel the most benefit and the most effect. Uh, and those are the people that we want to get back to that community just stepped up and helped us in such a big way. We want to help provide them with a platform to continue to do that. So they can continue to feel validated in their, in their help. Right. Um, and we have a lot of healthy folks out here who are very adventurous and very outdoorsy. Like we said before, we have a very resourceful community. Right. So we could have a really top notch uh, search and rescue team out here. Uh, and maybe it's not all, you know, maybe we get one missing hiker every three years that, that calls for a big search. But if a big wave hits the island and our communication grid is knocked down and we need to have good things in place already, um, you know, when a hunter goes missing and they're a couple right. of days out, 
when, you know, there's all ifs, ands, or buts about it. And the reality that police and fire have such a large scope of practice and search and rescue is such a narrow part of that, that they don't have to exercise that often. It's not reasonable to hold them to an incredibly high standard of daily response for search and rescue. However, if you can have uh, a volunteer community who's well-trained and has a very clear progression and platform of their training and their expectations, uh, that can be utilized on a regular basis basis without having to call them all out of the woodwork and create this thing out of nothing. Like we already have it in place. Other counties are already doing it. Other states are already doing it. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, we just have to get it all rolling. And so one of my goals right now is to start to get support from the top up. I'm also talking to the search and rescue teams to try to get them uh, on that page from the bottom up. But really I see it coming down to a state level where we have to get an approval for uh, the wording isn't going to be right on this, but I would say a state search and rescue advisory commission. Um, but something along that level of a, a state level understanding of what we're responsible for, what we're able to do and how quickly we can get involved. So that next time this happens, we're not starting our search on day four and five. Right. Um, There's a template already in place. And I was going to ask you real quickly that what, what would advice would you give if somebody's lost out there, uh, not only in Hawaii, but anywhere in the world, uh, what advice would you give them like two or three things to immediately do to get rolling as quickly as they can on a search pick and rescue? Pick up the phone. Don't, don't snub your resources trying to hold on too tight and run things yourself. One of the best things that we learned from this is the use of resources is what made it fluid. If any one department had been trying to hold on to this so tightly that nobody else could participate, then we never would have gotten as far as we did. Right. And we were constantly communicating with DLNR, fire, PD, private landowners, uh, the air community out here, um, people in the Congress, you know, and, and all that, we kept all of it moving. And that was why we always had an answer to the problem. Right. Uh, and, and what we're finding from the folks who call us asking for our help is that they're a single office or a single department, uh, trying to do it all themselves. And the reality is, is that you can't. And, and mm. that the beauty of search and rescue and its philanthropic sense is that you can ask for all the help that is available. And most of the times you'll get it. Yeah. Um, so Identify your resources, use your resources, think outside of the box. You know, a lot of search and rescue is pretty dated in its tactics, which is why some folks are not found is because uh, they're looked for in a radial search pattern. Right. Uh, and the reality is, especially when we talk to these guys on the West Coast and they've seen a clear demographic line of their responses and their recoveries over the years that when they got away from that radial search and started to search linear features like roads, trails, ridgetops and stream beds, they were finding more and more people. Yeah. Uh, and so to get out of that notion that they have to be within this two mile radius uh, and stop thinking that, you know, the trails. You know, a lot of folks that showed up said, oh, no, I know the trails, you know, and she wouldn't be there. And so when I was in California, I asked them, I said, what's your best search tool? Helicopters, dogs, infrared, what finds the most people? And the response was high school age youth. Uh, because they have sharper hearing, sharper eyesight, better stamina, and they don't reason themselves out of going places. And that's the yeah. strongest contributor there is they don't reason themselves because of their 30 to 50 years of life experience to say, oh, no, she wouldn't go up there. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. They go. And, and they find more people with that tool than anyone else. So. I think that's what Avi said. He said that she's not in this area. She's gone. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, you'll, you'll start to reason yourself out. And that's why we started to say reasonably unreasonable, you yeah. know, for an adult, it's unreasonable that she'd be out there for a kid. Fuck it. Cut a kid loose for eight hours and see how far they get. Right. Cut them loose for 16 days. See how far they get. Yeah. Right. You know, break one of the legs and cut them loose for 16 days. I guarantee they still get further than she did. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, those are my few realities. So use your resources, search the linear features and realize that the, the educated practiced adults with their years of book knowledge may not always be your strongest resource in the field. Yeah. So, uh, ask the question to you for somebody that's going for a run or a hike in the uh, woods or forest, uh, take your phone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell someone your plan. Fancy. Had we known anything that she was going to do that day, it would have helped. Yep. You know, everything, you know, it was lucky her boyfriend guessed that that might be where she was because she liked it there. But yeah, that's not that helpful to the people who are looking for her. Right. Not, uh, we didn't even know how far she had planned to go. Did she, maybe if she only planned to go for 10 minutes, it made sense that she didn't bring water. You know, yeah. leave your plan, take yep. your phone. Most runners, three mile run is not a big not deal. Big and we're not going to take our, I'll, I always take my phone or some sort of device, yeah. but. If you don't uh, want to shoot a text before But not water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, for, for me is, is, is very similar to what Chris said. You know, using your resources as a search and rescue, <clears throat> let's be as efficient and effective as possible immediately. So the simple thing of, are we trapped? It is the year 2019 now. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to just stick to paper maps. Right. You know, all of us, most of us have a smartphone, <laughs> you know, so, so using the resource of the technology right then and there. So what, when your search begins, it is an immediate physically tracted right here is where we exactly have been. Right. That's a very good start. I mean, because when I walked into it, I'll, I'll just n- never forget that feeling of why are we not doing this? Yeah. Why are you pointing to a map on here and not showing me some digital right. surface where we can actually be looking at this in a, in a, in not just a 2d way. You know, we, we have the resources, we have the technology, we can be doing it a lot better. Um, and do not lose hope so quickly. I remember uh, when I was speaking to the Arkansas in the Arkansas case, I just, you know, I, I'm just over the phone, helped out, consulted, quote unquote, um, gave, gave just advice. And I'll just never forget speaking with the sheriff and being like, him being like, man, he's probably dead. And they're mostly right. They find mostly dead people. Right. Exactly. But at the same time, not always. So, you know, don't just give up hope that the, if, if what we're searching for is a missing hiker, that they're not in fact still on a move, still going out and, and, and still being alive, you know, cause that's also going to help in the, Help in bringing people in as volunteers, right? right? You don't want to be like, "Hey, we're looking for a dead body. Come on up." Yeah, like, oh, I don't know about all that. Yeah. You know, let's help. Let's help find this person, and let's stick to a positive note. You know, let's use the technology. Let's use our resources and the resources. Exactly. They just found a guy right in 73. California, seventy-three years old, after a week. Bam, right there. Sound like a carbon copy too. Exactly. And are you using helicopters? I mean, are you using these yeah. resources that are here? Don't just brush them away because you don't think they'll be useful. For goodness' sakes, put put them to work and let's cut out that search and let's find that person because there'll inevitably be another one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. um, Anybody you want to recognize that uh, was out there that uh, deserves recognition besides 
you know, Troy. I think you talked a lot about Troy. Talk about Troy. And uh, your friend, uh, the, the Swedish or Swiss. Swiss. Switzerland. Swiss. From, is he Swiss? Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's from Switzerland. Yeah. yeah. I want to thank the canyoneering community 100%. That a lot of them never showed their face. Nobody even knows their name. They came in really early in the morning. They left on yeah. the far reaches where someone picked them up. They never were in the Makawal Forest. Nobody really ever recognized them. And I think that that was really helpful. And all of them have full-time jobs. So they're doing this on their weekends. Yeah. Um, and in, in particular... They came out at like 4.30 that morning, but I picked them up in the parking lot at like 4.45 that morning yeah. and they were all like chipper and bright. Yeah. And do their thing. And What's wrong with them? You know, they're not just repelling. They're diving in the pools looking for a body. They're, yeah. you know, they're doing some hard work and getting no recognition. And I think that's really noble. Yeah. yeah. I personally really appreciate it. Yeah. Javi, any, anybody right. you want to recognize? There, there, there are so many people out there that, yeah. that I personally went yeah, out Joseph. with. Joseph. Joseph. I mean, there are so many. Steffi. There are so many names out there. Daniel yeah. Perez, who went on a private mission just with me. I mean, I got so many friends out there that, that gave, even if it was just a day of coming out, mm -hmm. the strangers that came out. You know, it's yeah. hard to to pinpoint one individual person. No, or, everyone. Damien came and picked up our trash every day. Um, yeah. Just because we didn't have the energy to deal with it. <clears throat> yeah. Pete Vorsey, the pilot. Yeah. You know, he was super attached to all of it at that point. He I, was, he was always. I'll thank my boss though. I'll thank my <laughs> boss too. Thank you. My, I thank mine too. The guy that let me go. I mean, shit, it wouldn't have worked out if, if we hadn't parted ways. Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> Rachel the Domingo and my new was, boss. was huge for me. You know, mm -hmm. Maui Dream Side Company, what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. She was incredible, incredibly supportive. You know, as a dive instructor here in Hawaii, we don't stop, especially yeah. our shop. You know, we've got a great shop and she was super supportive throughout the whole thing, you know, and, and really took care of me, uh, not just uh, by letting me be off, but but emotionally as a friend, you know, even I think she even like I think so. Uh, that's, that's right. Uh, my first paycheck during this thing, cause I barely worked like her and like two other people threw in like a couple of hours. Like they literally donated hours to my paycheck. Totally. My yeah. boss went through and found a check from two years ago that I didn't cash. They really? went through the books and found she hadn't cashed this one. Let's recut it for her because uh, she hasn't worked in a month. So that's cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, that's so good. Mm -hmm. So, so much aloha there. Well, it's been an absolute honor to talk to all of you. Congratulations on a very successful mission. Thank um, you. you know, it's always good when it ends up good. Unbelievable. Um, hope a lot, uh, many, many people listen to this podcast and really hear the story from your end because I think it's very important to hear that and learn from it. And you, you're all available if uh, somebody that's lost and they get a search team want to call you and get some tips and advice. Call us that's up. right. That's what right. we're doing. Call Stat. Yeah, that's exactly it. Stat. We'll get yep. that. Do they have a website yet? We do. Well, it's still in beta. We don't okay. have a website Well, make yet. sure you get any info on that to me so I can put it in the show notes and any links or okay. whatever. Um, you know, I'll put in your the places Please. that you work yeah. for and, and all of that. Company. I think we'll always be able to find you, Javi, somewhere. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm the only Javier Cantaloupe in the exactly. whole Exactly. <laughs> so, so, Southern accent and all. That's right. good. I, I think it went well. Thank you again Thank you, yeah, so you much. Absolutely. Let's go have a beer. We're going to go have a beer. Beer. Aloha. Aloha. All right, aloha. Yeah. All right. 
Well, folks, how about that? Wasn't that an absolute amazing conversation? I feel so honored to have had the opportunity to talk to Chris, Elena, and Javi. The energy and passion that came through as they were talking about the search and their stories was absolutely amazing. And this is real, folks. This is as real as it gets. And I'm so glad that I could bring it to you. You know, I certainly recognize that there's other people that were very integral bringing their skills to the search. And I want them to know that they are certainly recognized and appreciated. And as Chris, Avi, and Elena have mentioned throughout the conversation, this was a community effort and they appreciate every single volunteer that came out and helped during this search and rescue. So proud of you, Maui, and so proud to be a part of this community. And thank you, Chris, Elena, and Javi for trusting me and allowing me to share your story on my podcast. In the show notes at feelgoodrunning.com, there is a posted message from the Eller family that addresses community concerns that they've heard and clarifies some of the rumors that have been going around. It is definitely worth taking a minute to read. I had the opportunity just a few days ago to meet Amanda and her mom, Julia, at a gathering for Javi, Chris, and Troy, who found her that day. Well, Amanda and her mom are very lovely people. And I said to Amanda, I am so glad you're alive. And she said, me too. I really hope people will treat Amanda as wonderful as they did before this all happened. She definitely deserves that respect. And Amanda, if you're listening, continue to heal both physically and mentally. And I and so many wish you a healthy, happy, and successful life. I truly hope this episode and hearing this story from Chris, Elena, and Javi will bring a new look, a new perspective to this story in your eyes. I know it did for me, and I learned some very good lessons about myself too. And that is, don't fall into the trap of believing the rumor mill, because most of the time it is based on hearsay and is pure fiction and not fact. Again, your comments are welcome. You can do so at feelgoodrunning.com. And please share this episode with your friends and on social media. I would really appreciate it. So be well, be safe, and live life to the fullest. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please consider sharing this podcast with your running friends and spread the feel-good running vibe around you. Head over to feelgoodrunning.com to access all the links and resources mentioned on the show. Until next time, keep motivated, keep focused, and keep on running. It is sure to make you, well, feel good.